Yeah. Now I feel, you know, I think this movie might have influenced my choice of movie theater snack for the following year mm, because I usually true. am a diehard bunch of crunch fan. But recently mm. I've been dipping into Sour Patch Kids more and I'm wondering if maybe Nope isn't the source of that after all. It's very possible. Um, they are fun. They are good. And yeah, they're, yeah. they're just solid snacks. Unless you're trying to get a praying mantis off of a camera and then they're not particularly yeah, they effective. Um, I feel like Bunch of Crunch would probably be about as good. Yeah. Uh, if I had to say the snack that I think would work the best against the praying mantis, it would be whatever the biggest one is. So maybe like a like Twizzler like a, yeah, or something like that. Yeah, I was going to say like, like a Twizzler. If you can control the, the rotation yeah. on that, you could probably get some good bug mm-hmm. smackage. <laughs> yeah. And it would just, I feel like the bug might be like, oh, sh- that's something bigger than me yeah. uh, as opposed to the Bunch of Crunches. But... Hello and welcome to Movie Struck, a podcast about movies and the people who watch them. I'm your host, Sophia Ricciardi, and I am joined today by Matt from Nando V Movies. Matt, welcome back to the show. You were here for X2 about a year ago. That's right. Thank you for having me. It has been, uh, it's been quite a year. Um, they have not made any X-Men movies since then, so we're <laughs> going to talk about something slightly different, although not completely outside of the themes of X-Men, I guess. I don't know. Slightly <laughs> science fiction related. Um Besides that, I don't think there's very many connections. Yeah. Well, I guess that leads us into the question that always opens this podcast. Of course, why did we watch Nope 2022? Okay. So a couple of reasons. One, it's probably, this is hard. I, I was thinking about this last night, trying to like really nail it down, but it's at least my top three favorite movies from last year. So like just looking back, I was like, I really, really like that movie. I also find it just really watchable. Um in terms of like a movie that I wouldn't mind rewatching. Like if we did, you know, not to throw any shade on Tar, but like if we decided <laughs> to do Tar, it's like, okay, do I want to sit for three hours with Tar? But with Nope, it's like, that's yeah. a good time. Um, mm-hmm. Oh, here he is. Mortimer's decided it's time for podcast. Oh. But, um, <laughs> and then the, uh, but the big one is that it is, as we're recording this today, it is March 10th. Um, we are two days out from the whatever, whatever th- Academy Awards. A big giant production that showcases everything that's great about Hollywood. And for reasons that I think are pretty obvious, they chose to pretty much completely ignore this movie. So it reminded me of how much I loved it. And then I was like, oh, yeah, that's that's a perfect movie for this. And also the other reason is. And when we talked about it, like, or when we were kind of discussing what movie to do, the other movie that I suggested is also, like, one of my favorite movies ever made. And this mm-hmm. is great because it's a new movie that I really like, and also it's also that. So, like, it's a perfect <laughs> mix of, of a new thing that's cool and interesting to talk about, and also one of my favorite movies. So we'll get to that stuff. But, yeah, that's the basics of it. There's nothing nothing that's come out in the last couple of days, although... Every so often, there's some news about balloons or UFOs and stuff, but um, <laughs> this is not for that reason. No, uh, but definitely, you know, it's a fun watch. I'm glad we're talking about it. We don't get as much horror on this podcast as mm. I expect from, you know, I, I think there's sort of a rep- reputa- reputation with a lot of film people that uh, horror is often a favorite genre or horror movies pop up a lot. And I, I know I love a lot of them, but obviously guest choice, it just hasn't come up. So I was really excited to get to jump into not only some horror, but some recent really good, well done uh Jordan Peele horror. <laughs> yeah. And I feel like we have, people have said this for a while, but ever since Get Out, I do feel like we're in something of a kind of not renaissance or even golden age, but just like mm-hmm. 
maybe, I don't know, Silver Age of just like movies that are horror movies that are also good enough movies on their own that there's something to talk about with them. Um, yeah. As opposed to like talking about, you know, uh, like Jason 6 and like how he slams that guy against the tree <laughs> in the sleeping bag. Like there's not like a whole lot there. They're fun. But yeah, now there's all these really high concept horror movies or even like Mathrigan, mm-hmm. which is like a fun horror movie to talk about because it's so weird. But yeah, there's so I think we're there. There's a lot of those that are they're pretty good now. And I do think this is one of the more interesting ones of the ones of the last couple of years that I can think of um, where, yeah, there's just lots of subtext and weird stuff going on that makes it fun to think about. Yeah, really cohesive. Um, but why don't we just drive on in to Nope? Uh, because we're going to open with some audio of a TV sitcom talking about the giving of a birthday gift uh, as we kind of go through many of the opening, many, many logos, Monkey's Paw Productions, mm-hmm. of course, being the big one here. So many logos. Like, so you're like, <laughs> which one of these? I know one of these is eventually going to be something <laughs> from the, like, Gordy's Home Show. And it's just, mm-hmm. like, four things until you see anything, um, which is so weird. Yeah. You keep waiting for the... Because I think that the trend, I would say, in modern movies is to throw the title card up pretty early on. Mm-hmm. Uh, and this movie takes its sweet time getting there. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> but as the broadcast audio ends, it turns to the sounds of a woman screaming and a quote appears on screen. I will cast abominable filth at you, make you vile, and make you a spectacle. I assume that's a Bible thing. Is that what that I didn't recognize that name. I, I'm not surprised no one ever references that or anything, um, like says that exact word or something like that phrase. But um, I could be mm-hmm. convinced it's like the Pulp Fiction one that they made up for the movie. I don't know. Yeah, I think but. it is actually from uh, the Hebrew Bible, but I oh, could not. Okay. I am not a religious scholar enough to tell you anything more beyond that. I did mm-hmm. not do very well in Catholic school. <laughs> That's fair. Uh, But we cut away from this quote as thudding picks up heavy intentional thuds and the picture kicks on. It's the scene of a birthday party, gift wrap strewn about uh, and also strewn about a woman's feet and shoes uh, with blood just shown on the edge of frame. Her shoe stands straight up in the center of the shot uh, as we watch a monkey dressed like a little boy covered in blood approach the uh, woman's foot and nudge it. This monkey, we will learn, is Gordy. Yeah. <laughs> that bit was interesting. Um, I like how I like how we don't fully see it until about halfway through the movie, mm-hmm. like the thing. Um, I do think it's interesting because, like, in a horror movie like this, a lot of the time, the first scene has to be some death. But it doesn't make sense for it to be the situation well I could, you could do like some people just walking through you know the canyon get eaten by the thing but um i think it's interesting that they chose to like sneak this one in there um yeah. because it does kind of become not like the thing that motivates everything but it is the moment that broke the brain of um jupe that set most of this into motion yeah it is really it's the foundational event but you wouldn't know that in your first watch yeah. of the movie. You know, I love when a movie seeds something that on your... Because this is my second time watching it for this podcast. I'm like, okay, now I kind of get mm-hmm. where the structure is going this time around. Whereas the first time you watch it, it's like, whoa, that's freaky. That, yeah. what, what tragedy happened here in this soundstage? We don't stay there for long. We have to move to the main 
center of events. We cut to a lone home on a ranch at night, uh, one light going on in the window as a man starts to do chores, feeding horses and the like while listening to a radio broadcast. Um, horses running about doing horse stuff. I feel like this is as good a point in the podcast as to mention this. Is uh, I have an ongoing vendetta, um, personal grudge with horses. Um, oh. We don't get along. <laughs> Interesting. Yeah. So this was fun for... Were you, did you have a moment where you like... Uh, did a mirror at a horse or whatever or like it's one of the things that we learned to not do with horses is that uh, you don't want to do no, that no you know i i was uh riding a horse in the rocky mountains and i to be fair i don't know what i was doing but uh it just started walking for a tree and it almost took me out with a low-hanging branch Ooh. uh and ever since then we've been mortal enemies on mm. site uh oh, but this no. is a great movie for you then because <laughs> Quite a few. The horses most terrifying don't make it out. part of this horse of this movie is the horses. Anything mm-hmm. else that's going to pop up, not a problem. <laughs> horses are super weird looking. I'll give it yeah. to you. There's some close-ups <laughs> on horse faces that it's like those eyes are, you know, just those weird black eyes. Um, yeah, do not like them. <laughs> uh, the man who will learn is uh, O.J. Haywood, uh, Otis Jr. Walks over to where another man, his father, is training one horse to play dead or to go sit down on the ground so that someone could get onto it training the horse uh and this is his father otis senior oh yeah that's cool i didn't even think of that that's what he has to do at the end of the movie to get back on the horse yeah he's like do that play dead move yeah that was that was clever <laughs> it's all coming back around there's Good so many like <laughs> little things yeah i'm trying to remember what the wor- not worst but there's always one where a character will be like hey don't touch that big knife or whatever. I don't remember what the one in the, was in this movie, but there was something that a character says really like, oh, man, it's going to I'll figure it out eventually. But something that's so unnecessary or like innocuous, but also clearly there for, for foreshadowing and like mm-hmm. Chekhov's gunning later. Um, and it's not it's not the um, the crank thingy, but that one's pretty interesting. The uh mm-hmm the camera I'll, I'll figure it out what it is yeah it's not like um in tremors when they show you the pogo stick and you immediately know that that pogo stick is going to come back around yeah it's, there was something similar in this movie i'm sure we'll get to it in the mm-hmm. uh plot summary because if it was if it was that obvious i almost certainly noted it down but otis is hopeful that if they nail the show he's practicing for they'll be in good business and won't have to sell more horses so we get the background of this ranch they're not doing amazing financially. Oh, I know what it is. I remember the thing. Kiki Palmer's introduction where she says, I can do X, Y, Z, motorcycles, and nothing else. Like, <laughs> that was the thing where I remembered seeing it a second time. I'm like, oh, right. That's because that does not that it comes out of nowhere or we need an explanation for why she can ride a motorcycle really well, but it does feel like someone was like, we should probably have her sit with a motorcycle uh, at least see once. this a little yeah. bit. <laughs> mm-hmm. Otis asks where uh, OJ's sister is and walks off going to make a phone call. Uh, and as OJ goes to make that phone call, the screen on his phone goes kind of staticky as all the power around them goes out. There's the a faint scream sound seemingly from nowhere in the sky and metal objects begin whizzing and falling around them. As OJ tries to figure out what's going on, he turns to his father who is leaning over his horse. And as the horse starts to walk away, uh, Otis slides off and falls to the ground limp. OJ rushes over to him gets him in the truck, rushes his father with a very bloody head wound to the hospital, and in the hospital bed we see the damage. Otis Sr. has been hit in the eye with a 
nickel that fell from the sky. I guess technically the second death of the movie. Yeah, I guess that is probably, and it's like, it's interesting um, because there's so much like, I guess it's interesting because is that, we're supposed to understand that the, like, the the nickel got stuck or nickel or quarter or whatever got stuck Mm -hmm. in his skull, right? Like it landed in there. Yeah, I think that that was the... Because we see it in the x-ray. Because we see it in the x-ray and we see it in like the evidence bag afterwards. So I guess, are we supposed to assume, not supposed to assume, but I wonder if he wasn't like, would it have broken through his skull Mm. if he wasn't looking directly up at the sky? You know what I mean? Because that's like the movie. But like, I'm wondering, I don't know too much about the, if you drop a penny off the Empire State Building thing, because I've heard that it is dangerous but also like maybe it's not I, I feel like i saw the Mythbusters do this um <laughs> and i'm wondering if like in universe it would have killed him both ways or he would have been saved the second way i don't know uh, yeah that's a good qu- like i feel like thematically yeah it, i can see the second way having saved him but Mythbusters wise like i i don't know the signs behind that to be honest yeah to i'm pretty sure there's a terminal velocity these things hit and it's probably not that much but also like mm-hmm. yeah I don't know. I don't know. I, I'm so I've, I've been grown up to just like what as I was raised, it was like, don't throw a penny off the Empire State Building. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, you'll kill everybody. <laughs> and uh, I just kind of went with that. Seems like good advice. Listeners of the podcast. Yeah. Take that to heart. And also the Empire State Building. It's fine. It's not that cool. There's cooler <laughs> stuff to do in the city. Um, yeah. Especially around there. Oh, you know, yeah. Go, go to 30 Rock. Look at the time. ice skating rink and stuff. Actually, no, that one's not cool either. There's a Nintendo store really close to 30 Rock, though, that is kind of fun <laughs> to go to that I always recommend people check out. It's also right by the Lego store that is yeah. also near 30 Rock if you want to do a one-two punch. <laughs> and the NBC store, which you can buy Nope merchandise from. And next hey. time I'm in the city, I'm just getting some. Yeah, I, I want the hat, um, Ooh, uh, the yeah. horse hat. They also sell online the, um, the sweatshirt, the Scorpion King orange crew hoodie. Mm. But it is just too expensive for me to justify buying as a sweatshirt that I'll probably never wear. <laughs> I think I can, like, I think I can justify the hat. Um, yeah, that feels right. Yeah. And back at the ranch, of course, OJ is having a staring match with his father's horse who has a key stuck in its butt. Uh, mm. Many metal objects fell from the sky. And this is where the title, nope, uh, finally pops up. Later, the wind is whistling, mixing with people's screams again in the dark. And we cut to a studio where a horse has been set up for a green screen recording of a commercial or what have you. Uh, it's OJ, and he is training this horse. <laughs> yeah, that that scene is so funny because it really immediately, like, the introduction of whatever her name is, the old actress lady, mm-hmm. it's like, man, the way they do that, where they clap on old actress ladies, and any actress, but, like, when they come on the set, it's so weird. Yeah, <laughs> I cannot imagine being that person and being like, yeah, this is a good idea. Everybody clapped because I walked onto set to stand around to do this commercial with a horse. Like, I don't know. <laughs> it's very, very strange. Yeah. All my time on set, uh, I don't think I've ever worked with anyone who was big enough to demand uh, applause mm. when they came on. But it does also feel very much like that has to be something for a day player. Because if you're clapping every time oh, yeah. a lead actor walks on the set on like a 90 day shoot, you guys are going to spend so much more time clapping than actually filming anything. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, we learn um, that OJ, short for Otis Jr., is a horse trainer for 
film and TV, so the person who does all the animal handling, um, and the crew around him is all talking about how they're stuck with him because his father died from injuries after some random stuff fell from a plane. And we see just how out of place OJ is in this gig. Uh, He's a bit more introverted and doesn't quite have a handle on uh, how to handle the crew themselves, who are all just walking all over him. They're not giving him the equivalent respect. Um, And the... uh, they go to begin the horse safety meeting, uh, and as OJ kind of stumbles through the opening, his sister busts in and takes over and immediately has the pizzazz that her brother lacks when it comes to the showmanship side. Um, and she goes on, uh, Emerald, short M for short, to give the history of the Haywoods, their family, descendants of the jockey from the very first sequence of images ever assembled into a motion picture, which is the uh, black man riding a horse. Very famous piece of cinema history so yes and no apparently i looked this up that's not that guy or like they're i don't <laughs> a i don't think we know who that is b i'm not convinced there was something i read that was like he wasn't a black guy or something like that which is interesting because i've heard this in the trailer and i was just like i guess that's true um but yeah i i don't remember exactly what the story is uh but it's not whatever they say yeah um, it did feel a little bit like um this movie was just sort of like, well, this is this is a neat little tie-in for us to have that we can like use this imagery yeah. later on. So let's build the story around it. Uh, and like but, it could be yeah. true. I believed it completely because um, stuff like that happens all the time. But yeah, just like it felt too, you know what? It felt too like interesting to be the first time I had heard about it, mm-hmm. like some sort of story like that. Um, yeah. But yeah. Yeah, I tried to really flash back to my film school days to be like, which, is this the right footage? And I think it is the correct footage. I just don't know the backstory of the the man in question. It might be, it might actually be a black jockey, but it's definitely not the thing that they, it it didn't happen, I think, the way it gets described. Um, specifically, we, A, we don't know the name of that guy. Um, mm-hmm. uh, but, um what was the other thing? So I've got it. I've got it up here. Um, uh, it might even be that we don't have those footage anymore. I don't know, that might mm. not be true. Um, hold on a second. Okay, real quick. <laughs> this is from a uh, Daily Beast article that is like about it's like the why or what Jordan Peele's note gets wrong about the horse in motion, the so-called first motion picture, and mm-hmm. just this one sentence here. Um, uh, the first set of photos did not feature black jockeys. Maybridge and Stanford's collaboration was suddenly interrupted in 1874 when the former traveled to the city of Calistanga to kill his wife's lover, Major Harry <laughs> Larkins. Um, so that's something. I uh, So I don't care about the horse thing anymore. I want to see what happened with this murder. Um, like, that would be really funny if they, they had to end their little speech with, also, he killed the guy, actually, yeah. after this. Also, uh, there was this whole um, drama with infidelity yeah. and uh, murder. That's not relevant. We're here to talk about the jockey. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, but she's essentially just giving the history of their family uh, and tying them to horses and movies for a very long time. Um, she goes on to go over the safety procedures, introducing herself. And as she does, she also lists all of her various other entertainment gigs, acting, singing, directing, motorcycle stunts, uh, you know, all this good stuff here to kind of plant that she is selling herself and then maybe not entirely working for the family business in the way that OJ is. OJ, noticing something is wrong with the horse, tries to get someone's attention that the horse needs a break, but instead everyone around him just starts rushing to 
continue the shoot. Ziggs. <laughs> See, we can't control and man versus nature. We man cannot control nature. animals around us. It is podcaster versus cat. Yeah, it is happening <laughs> one, in real life. One Mine's of on the my core lap, pet. points it's of conflict. One of the mm-hmm. key types of conflict, I should say. You know, but again, everyone is ignoring him, uh, and the actor and director are all coming up. And as uh, one of the techs on set shows the horse a reflective mirrored ball, and it sees its reflection. Lucky the horse kicks, sending everyone rushing back. Uh, I couldn't quite... I stared at this shot for shot for, like, minutes trying to see if anyone actually got hit by the horse no, kick. No, yeah. I don't no, think so. It seems yeah. like it kicks, like, I don't know, a bag of flour out of somebody's yeah, right. hands or something. <laughs> but, yeah, I the first time I saw it, I was like, holy shit, it kicked that lady's head off. But no, I don't think... <laughs> no. Yeah. It doesn't look like anybody dies. It dodges out of the way. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And afterwards, uh, OJ is sent off of set uh, with his, his contact telling him that maybe he's not ready to pick this business back up even though you know he needs the the money and the uh, exposure it's too soon after his dad died um it's just a rough break all around for oj and the haywood ranch horses he drives his sister home she's uh planning to be gone in the morning and complains that he's not being the fun brother she knows right now um setting up a little bit of tension there and as they leave Los Angeles and head back to the ranch, they drive past a whole fucking bunch of those noodle arm dealership guys. Oh, yeah, those guys. Love those dudes. <laughs> so many dudes. Yeah, I feel like one thing, we'll get to it, but mm-hmm. it's interesting that they're all different colors. Um, yeah. Like, I like that. I wonder if you're a car dealership, do you buy all of the same color or like two <laughs> colors that are kind of the brand? Or do, yeah, do you just do car get dealerships a have, is it like, you know, like college or university colors? Right. Like, is every Honda dealer supposed to be rocking the same like shade of blue? I wouldn't be surprised. Yeah, I feel like there's probably a color that your building kind of is. There's usually like, it's like a white building with a big red thing on it. So mm. I'd imagine all you guys would be red or some sort of complementary color. But maybe it is all just <laughs> like, you know, you want to get them in sequence, different colors, because that mm-hmm. is the most exciting thing. I don't know. Yeah, I also haven't seen one of those in the wild in a while. Um, mm. Maybe I haven't been doing enough driving through Middle America, but it's yeah. been a minute since I saw one of these guys, and I have to admit there was a real childlike joy in me seeing it on screen, being like, "Yeah, yeah alarm know. guy." I don't know if you were like. Uh, there's two things I think that broke these guys for me. The first one is Family Guy. Really, I don't remember when, but it did a whole <laughs> bit about the wacky waving inflatable arm flailing tube men, and it was like so hard to not see those things and think about Family Guy. The other one is Always Sunny had that one oh, episode yeah. where Dee dances like one of them on the boat. <laughs> um, and yeah, so like they pop culture, two things kind of claimed them and now three, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, so I will never not see them and think about those three things, two of which I quite like and one I'm fine with. Uh, so maybe it's a good thing. Maybe it's a positive yeah. like association. Yeah, you can kind of judge a piece of media by its relationship to wacky yeah. arm guys. Mm-hmm. The wacky arm guy meter, uh, much like the Bechdel test, is a very appropriate measure of mm. the yeah. storytelling quality of the movie. Uh, but they're they're pulling in to stop at Jupiter's Claim, which is an old west themed kind of like park slash live show, uh, yeah, little roadside things, attraction. Like I've never seen one of these. This movie takes place in California, and I don't spend too much time in California. I wonder how many of these there are, and if they exist, yeah. how much money they make. You know, I, I've i done a lot of road tripping through uh, middle America, and I will say if, like, I can't speak to the quality of every single one, but certainly we passed a couple of these things where it's like, you're just driving for days, you need somewhere to stop, yeah. here is entertainment. 
Um, so I imagine that there's at least a couple kicking around in California. I'm not sure how close to Los Angeles they might be, but um, that's fair. I hear that they took this thing down and put it up in um, Universal Studios Hollywood. Like, yeah, the there's a little set. tag at the end of the movie where it says, yeah. "Come visit this at a come drive through Jupiter's claim at Universal Studios Hollywood." I don't know if it's still there now or. I- yeah, I wonder, because I feel like they could keep that up for a while unless they have something to replace it with. Like, why mm-hmm. take it down? Um, if that's the case, I'd love to go down there and, like, check it out, kind of. Yeah, um, <laughs> yeah but uh, but I go to I go to theme parks once every my whole life, so <laughs> I'm probably not going to make it back there before that's replaced with something else. Um, I don't know, the Alita Battle Angel experience or whatever. Oh, boy. <laughs> yeah. But they go to walk through, stop by... Uh, M photobombs some tourists who are taking a photo by looking into a well that has a camera at the bottom and they spend a little bit of time this is i think the one i clocked as mm. the setup payoff because they spend quite a bit of time showing us the mechanic of the camera winding up at the bottom of the well and i'm like no way that we don't have to take a photo with this later on yeah um oj watches a man lead a horse away lucky the horse from set um who is still dressed for green screen with the little tape x's on his side poor lucky ready for his starring role um Mm -hmm. uh, oj has been selling horses from the ranch to this uh theme park i guess amusement locale uh 10 of them total 10 of his dad's horses but he plans to buy them back eventually um oj goes to do business and tells m to stay behind since she's a liability but she uh insists that she go anyway because he's a liability and i love their like sibling bickering back and forth Uh, i like that it never quite like it felt very real to me and that yes they're squabbling but at no point are they ever pushing each other too far we're not getting the drama in this movie of like you've said something you can't take back it is there's a lot of Mm -hmm. like deep love there um and they're both terrible at this job like he is way too (laughs) like calm and doesn't really speak and she, he tells her, like, don't go in there. You're just going to be problem. And she does just distract everybody constantly and ask what all the pictures are. So, like, yeah, they're both they're both right the whole time. Neither of yeah. them are good at this on their own. <laughs> uh, OJ and M go and meet with Steven Yun, who is playing Jupe, uh, dressed as a cowboy. OJ is trying to talk about Lucky the Horse and starting to... Uh, buy back some of the previous horses and M is walking around the room admiring all the mem- memorabilia on the walls because Ricky uh, Jute Park is a former child star um, if many sitcoms and TV shows uh, he was like the kid sheriff in something early on uh, mm. and as they continue to do business M comes upon um, a poster a mad magazine cover uh, with a monkey the monkey from the opening sequence in cartoon form on the cover and Jupe explains that that is a reference to Gordy's home um, and a reference to the Gordy's home incident specifically, which was uh, part of a short-lived sitcom he was in, on in the 90s where the monkey actor on set one day went crazy while they were filming and just started rampaging. Uh, and he <laughs> opens a secret door behind the Mad Magazine cover to a room full of memorabilia from the show. Yeah, I mean, listen... A, that's awesome. I'm sure in that situation, he was like, what am I going to put in the secret door place? And then when it came to him, he was like, oh, my God, this will be sick. Um, <laughs> the, my other thing with him in that scene, because there's a couple things I love about that scene. Mm-hmm. One of them is, and it's something that is only fun on the rewatch. Well, not only fun, but more fun on the rewatch. Mm-hmm. When um, 
OJ first brings up, like, I want to start figuring out a plan to buy the horses back. Uh, uh, Jupe's reaction is so like, oh, yeah, yeah, okay, you can buy them back. They're all alive <laughs> somewhere, somewhere else. Um, so we'll figure that out. Like, it's yeah. he's so funny and so caught there. Um, <laughs> and in the moment, you're just like, well, he's not going to sell them back to him. And then later, you're like, he can't. They're all he dead. He can't. There are no more horses. Mm-hmm. Um, but he also piv- I, I like something about the way that he's characterized, too, is that he pivots so quickly to talking about his past successes mm-hmm. and, like, living in his past life. Because as soon as M shows the tiniest bit of interest in the Gordy's home cover... Uh, he completely abandons the business conversation and moves into telling her all the history of the show, how successful it was, and then how far it fell, uh, recounting the Gordy's birthday episode where the incident happened uh, and where one of the chimps freaking out uh, for six minutes and 13... Six minutes and 13 seconds, I guess, of Havoc. My notes say six minutes and 13 minutes. That Wow, 19 minutes of Havoc. Whoa. I mean, <laughs> it would take a lot of time for that chimp to kill everyone in the studio because there's a mm-hmm. studio audience... Yes. I think. And I'm trying to figure out, like, I imagine a lot of them ran away. But do we know how many people Gordy got, maybe not killed, but, like, managed to injure to I the point where... I think there's a, like, you overhear some of the police showing like... up on the scene when we'll inevitably flash back to this again later on. And I think that they, it was mostly just the cast that he got. Okay. Like, I think they said, like, a lot of the audience fleed or people have fled. X is still in the studio. Um, that makes sense. I do think it's insane. The idea that this would have happened and this wouldn't be something everybody knows. Like, yeah. this would be a, you know, Nancy Kerrigan, Tanya Harding thing that mm-hmm. I love the 80s would bring up. And, like, we just <laughs> never forget about it culturally. That time the monkey killed all the people on the TV show. But I yeah. don't know. Maybe In there is of one a of live those that we studio all forget audience. about. Yeah. Like, there's a video. They do it on SNL. Like, it, it's such a big... Mm-hmm. big cultural thing that i feel like i don't know i mean maybe we are taking that for granted now and something like that did happen we all forgot about but i'd like to believe in stories like this by this point especially with him being as open about it as he is mm-hmm. there would be so many podcasts about this oh, and yeah. like so many little stories about like I, that yeah and he mentions in the scene he's like a throwaway line he's like yeah the show's sort of like gained a little bit of a cult following yeah like, a couple like norwegian couple or something paid me like way too much money to spend a night in this memorabilia room and he's like i don't know what they're doing there so there's sort of like i think the implication that for some people this is mm-hmm. like this huge event and sort of well recounted um but it is I, m feels like a person who should know this backstory a little bit more right. so i think yeah. this scene also plays a little bit like well the audience needs to know more mm-hmm. so we'll have this character ask about it um jupe also jokes that this is why he can't use chimps in his shows now uh, and one of the items on display is the shoe from the opening standing straight up as it was on the floor uh, when we saw it before. Yeah, I've heard people kind of talk about the shoe mm-hmm. as like, because I, I remember after I saw it, I read a bunch of articles that are like, this is what everything stands for uh, because I can't be bothered to like figure it out on my own. Um, <laughs> and some of them had good explanations and some of them were like really bad. Mm-hmm. I never saw a great explanation for what this shoe was besides like kind of a red herring or a like these things are weird moment that's supposed to kind of i don't know make you i like i can't tell exactly what even the articles were going for Mm -hmm. but it does feel like it was just kind of put in there to confuse the audience into thinking that like yeah i don't know the shoe is magic 
I think I think that's probably the most likely explanation. I think you can make a generous argument for well, a lot, big theme in this movie is looking away or things that you can't take your eyes off of, and oh, it right, is yeah. the thing that draws your eye in a scene that has a lot going on. Whenever it shows up, it's like, whoa, the show, the shoe is standing straight up. I got to look at that. That's um, a good point. But I don't know if that is a. I would not describe that as a thick enough argument to hold its own in an article. Um, I and think so more much than of the yeah. rest of this is so on the nose, or not yeah. on the nose in a way that's bad, but just so like, oh, that's what he's going for with this. Mm-hmm. That the shoe is the only one, especially because it was in the trailer, that people were like, ooh, what's this all about? And the answer was like, it's not that important. Um, but Sometimes that's a shoe is a shoe. Mm-hmm. Uh, we also get a little um, flashback to a scared child actor hiding under the table during the real incident, Jupe, in his younger days. Uh, before quickly cutting back to the present where he seems pretty well adjusted about the whole thing. Oh, yeah. I mean, that's probably not my favorite scene in the movie, but it really captures how awful it is to listen to someone explain an SNL sketch to you, uh, (laughs) like, after without actually showing it to you. It's just Mm. horrible. And, like, um, I do think that was something that I didn't really try this, but I was thinking about um, for Halloween going as Chris Kattan as Gordy the the monkey um but it was just too complicated but yeah it's like (laughs) it is such a thing it's well explained enough that you're like yeah that maybe that did happen honestly i wouldn't be surprised if like if like there's probably people in that sketch i don't remember exactly who he says but like i could see maybe him using like throwing out phil hartman or someone who might not be alive anymore but i i'm surprised they didn't actually do the sketch um like get chris Kattan back kind of age him down and Mm -hmm. just have a second of this play because this NBC, like same company and they could totally like 100%. do that. I kind of want to see it, but yeah, I'm surprised yeah. that wasn't like something they threw in, in the credits. Like here, we're going to play the SNL sketch. Right. While yeah. It's roll. Cause it would be, I would think it would be interesting to see it, to see like, I mean, we, we get, you know, we get the idea of what Gordy's kind of, uh, or not, well, not Gordy, uh, Jupe's level of detachment is from it. But mm-hmm. I would like to see what the cult, the actual cultural detachment is yeah. from this is like what other people, how other people have viewed this incident, which is mostly mm-hmm. probably through this. Because like, I don't know about you. There's so many things from my childhood that I don't know what really they were outside of like SNL sketch and Jay Leno monologues and stuff like that, where it's like, you know, we're learning about them now. And it's like, oh, yeah, no, this thing was actually terrible. Mm-hmm. And these people just made a lot of jokes about it. And we all. Left we all like jerks. It. Yeah. Yeah. And um yeah, so this fits right in. I can Absolutely. totally see this happening. Finishing up this conversation with uh Jupe, they return to the ranch. OJ has work to do as he always does, uh, but M wants to just chill and hang out. She asks about what Jupe's offer was, and OJ explains that he wants to buy the entire ranch, um, which is what he had previously offered their father. Again, very cleverly covering his whole tracks about there not actually being any horses to mm-hmm. buy back. And then he would have a whole lot more horses to yeah. whatever he needs horses for. We'll find out in like 30 And minutes. he definitely <laughs> wants those people off the property in case yeah. they can also kill the big monster thing. Spoiler <laughs> alert. Like, I yeah. understand why no one should be there but him. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. He's, he's, he knows what he's doing, that that Yeah, you. he's got Except a Except for that one plan. thing. He got one big mistake, but besides that, I feel like he could have he could have done this. Like this could have worked out. <laughs> um, OJ and M go off to smoke a little weed and have a drink and bond in the ranch house as they toast their dad and reminisce about all the photos hanging on the walls. 
M talks about Jean Jacket, the horse that was supposed to be hers to train when she came of age, but her dad uh, insisted on doing it himself instead. And she recounts a memory um, of staring out the window, watching her dad and her brother train this horse. And her dad never turned to look at her, but OJ did and did a little, I'm looking at you, hand signal, uh, two fingers to the eyes to the next person. We've all... Mm-hmm. I'm watching you. I'm trying to think of the word that is not just like what you called it as a kid to describe a specific hand motion and realizing that that's not a possible way to. <laughs> yeah. And the way I read that as a kid and would read it today is like, that guy's going to kill me. Like, yeah. this is a threat. Um, <laughs> that's like don't your brother has just for. like unplugged your Nintendo and now yeah. it's on site. <laughs> mm-hmm. But here it is supposed to be a much more loving symbol Mm. uh it's a very convenient shorthand for the the film to lean on oj admits his dad was hard-headed but he really did something when he made this ranch and they can't just let that go um at that point m notices ghost one of the horses i think specifically the horse that their dad was riding when the metal fell from the sky or just another white horse is in the arena area Mm. outside um pen this is where sophia's lack of horse building descriptive words is going to come into play (laughs) yeah i think pen is right i don't know what makes something a stable but i don't think that's a stable he's in the stable later i guess with the little alien kid so yeah (laughs) i think pen is probably right yeah um but we got our another title uh the way that this movie is structured they're basically going to pop up title cards for the name of each um horse or other animal gordy Mm -hmm. uh that we will encounter uh, and they'd have their own sort of mini vignettes, which I really like this structurally. I think this does a really good job of like pacing the movie out a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. I think this movie in general is paced super well. Mm-hmm. Um, especially with like, it's, I feel like this is a little bit easier again with horror movies because the beats are all someone gets killed by the thing. Mm-hmm. So like there's all of these or like not even someone gets killed by the thing, but all the encounters where like, yes something weird happens um are really like set exactly where you want in a movie so it does i don't think this movie like i think you know say what you will about tar i don't want to beat up on tar but um (laughs) i don't think there's anywhere where this movie could drag because anytime where it's like all right let's get going that movie the movie is like kind of engineered via math to have the you know the monster show up again and do a thing so yeah and i think the rep for monster movies in particular like repetition is really powerful because you Mm -hmm. start to learn what the signs are of oh no this thing is coming and in this movie they start out with like the specific sounds of like this humming and this popping sound sort of like the wind whistling and so when you start to get those repeatedly in these like smaller segments and then eventually the rules of them start to break a little bit and then a lot uh it, it's a really good way to like throw the audience off balance and keep very repetitive segments seeming new and interesting um yeah. and also lets us try and figure out what's up with the monster because mm-hmm. who knows we can't see yeah. it yet we don't know it's a mystery it's it's horror horror I don't know why I need to stretch that word. <laughs> I mean, it is hard. Like it's a, it's a weird. Like there's a lot of echoing <laughs> going on in this movie. Yeah, I it's really like love the reverb on this mix. <laughs> it's pretty good. I, this is why I think out of all of the things that I think if this movie got snubbed for, some sort of sound mixing, sound yeah. editing, whatever award is the one that I'm like, come on, this this is at least kind of intentional. And like, yeah. as as the movie goes on more, but even by now we've kind of 
touched on all those themes of like Hollywood ruins people kind of or like mm-hmm. Hollywood is bad for you. I really think the Academy took that personally and was like, yeah. listen, you can make a movie about how Hollywood made your family divorced, but you do have to make it nice at the end. And like Steven Spielberg was like, OK, I guess we could that that that's fine with me. And like even Kate Blanchett has a movie about how like the film industry is kind not the film industry, but like the entertainment industry has these weird auteurs that are mm-hmm. too powerful and stuff. But at the same time, that is fully, like, it isn't a systemic thing. It's a thing specific to her um, and, you know, specific auteurs. Whereas with this, it is like the bad guy is the movies. And, um, yeah, I just, I, I have a feeling there were some Academy people that were like, yeah, no, we're not, we're not going to yeah. accept that. Yeah, it does feel like a snub to, like, I, I think this movie could have, Definitely got nominated for so much more beyond the technicals, but like technically this movie is so cool. Like audio is definitely up there and I'm a huge audio geek. So love that. But like visually, there's a lot of really interesting things going on here. Mm -hmm. uh, Editing wise too. There's, there's so many things that this could have gotten nominated for. Oh, score. Yeah. All the music they managed to incorporate into it's very interesting. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah. I mean, I saw Elvis. I haven't seen (laughs) Babylon, but I've heard not great things. I can't imagine this isn't like, I wish the Academy wasn't so in love with musical biopics because it really, this is the final nail in the coffin after Bohemian Rhapsody. That's like, Mm -hmm. nah, they just, you make one and it's okay. Except for if the guy sounds right, they will give you an award instead of Mm -hmm. a movie that is different. Uh, And yeah, yeah, it's, it's a, it's a real shame um, because that Elvis movie is weird. Um, <laughs> speaking of movies that I think are paced really poorly, uh, yeah. this is like the opposite of that. Yeah, we're making a great candidate for editing or writing, but yeah. we digress. Uh, mm-hmm. Walking out to Ghost in the Night uh, is OJ watching with the horse as it stares out over the ranch and that wind sound that we love so much uh, picks back up, dogs barking in the distance. OJ calls to M to turn down the music she's playing inside as she's got a, a record player going. And with his back turned, Ghost runs off out of the pen and into the distance. So OJ follows in their truck. Off farther away, lights and the echoes of Jupe on the speakers. It's his lasso show kicking off. Mm, yeah. Four lights, which fade on and off as galloping and shrieking pick up. And when we return to the ranch, the record player comes to a stop as all the power in, in this wide area goes off, uh, much like when the phone glitched earlier. Oh, yeah. That, one of my favorite sky. new cliches, I think, is the I get it with the record player, but at so many other points, like a radio turns off by going like, and it's like, yeah, I I buy that with the record. I feel like radios are a little bit different. Especially if your motorcycle just immediately shuts off and you go flying. Like, yeah. if he was listening to music on that motorcycle, it would still be almost going for a little bit. Because <laughs> music just does that. It's kind of like, this is the visual shorthand we've accepted for mm-hmm. this thing. Even though, like, if you smash a cassette tape, that cassette tape just stops playing. It's not going to, like, yeah. slowly unwind. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, no, but it it is... I kind of love that. <laughs> I do too. No, yeah. and it's very it's it's both cool like cool sounding and also it's just like scary sounding and eerie yeah. especially during the um like the stage show mm-hmm. one. I think that sets up really well and like the um so so I totally get it. It is just funny cuz at this moment I think when I saw it the first time, I'm like, oh, yeah, that is what happened when a record player stops, kind of, because it has a little bit of a momentum, and then it mm-hmm. stops. And then every single time after it, I'm and then like, it keeps no, going. this is just what they decided happens when audio gets <laughs> yeah. you know, interrupted. 
Yeah, it's 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 pretty uh, widely used cinema shorthand at this point, and of all the things that have become cinema shorthand, it's one of the ones I'm most okay with uh, just accepting mm-hmm. as being a part of life yeah. now. Um, but out of the corner of his eye, OJ catches an oblong object stream across the sky, uh, and he returns to the ranch house ghostless as he and M check the security tapes from around their excuse me around their ranch. On the porch, OJ asks M about what to call bad miracles like what happened to their father and she drops the first of many title drops in the movie nope uh <laughs> yeah um i'm trying to think because yeah you have that one yeah there that is that is definitely the first one there's one where yes. oj uh looks at something and just says nope to himself um, and i want to say is the last line of the movie nope there's one in the during the gordy's home yeah um, and I don't remember where that gets played, but yeah, it's a cool, it's a good title. Do you remember when this movie was coming out, like before it was out? Maybe I was trying to figure out what it was about, and that was yeah. one of the big fan theories <laughs> was that stands for something, um, mm-hmm. like UFO. So that was cute. That was cute. But yeah, just ended yeah. up being nope. Nope. It's fun to say. It's easy to remember. I can't come at them too hard for it. And I think they do it, you know. As much as it was yeah. like, well, that's a title drop. It was always a, like, well, that's an earned title drop. You know, the writing is good uh, enough that I'm never mad at it being like, okay, nope. <laughs> and as characters that like are, you know, in a, in a monster movie or any movie like this, like the idea that the end of the movie, like, mm-hmm. so, you know, sometimes they try to figure out how to kill Freddy Krueger or whatever. But like in this, they are so actively going after it and like figuring out ways to beat it that mm-hmm. it does feel like these characters are more savvy than other characters. And it's yeah. one of those kind of reactions to like, well, yeah, they're not idiots. They know mm-hmm. not to do some of these things. Um, so that is what everybody in real life would say if that happened to them. And so these yeah. guys are like that smart. Yeah. And I think it's a nice call, like setting up this scene so early too, where they describe the bad miracle. Also, I think kind of forward justifies that for me too i'm like well of course he's saying nope it's already in the back of his mind from this earlier conversation um right. it's just coming out in the scene so it feels even like script wise a little bit more justified but oj goes on to tell his sister how he saw something big and quite fast too fast uh and too quiet to be a plane out there when he went to get ghost so the next day they head to a supply store to get stuff to get evidence of the ufo um because if they can get it on tape they could sell it to outlets and media companies and magazines and whatnot uh, who will pay thousands of dollars for story uh, or evidence like that. And they even joke that they're looking for that Oprah-worthy shot to get that Oprah mm. feature. Is Oprah still doing this kind of stuff? Who is the person now that, like, would... Because, <laughs> like, I'm sure Oprah could get that out. But, like, yeah, where would that even go these days? Like Mr. Beast? Who's like the <laughs> biggest person that you would be like, this is going to get mm. reach? I don't know. I think the UFO thing is what throws me with Oprah because I could see mm. like a, in the world of this movie what, why she might run the story, but also I can't see today a world where Oprah is running a UFO evidence story. Like this does kind of feel like if in, in the real world, this would peter out on an ancient aliens type thing. Oh, immediately. Yeah, I would never yeah. believe this. It would be some sort of marketing <laughs> thing that would be a Super Bowl commercial a couple of weeks later. Mm-hmm. Like, it would, yeah. <laughs> I um, I like to believe, but also I, I'm super skeptical about alien stuff in general. But uh, mm-hmm. anything these days where it's like some video of something where it's like, 
insane strongest man it's like no that's that's there's a new m night Shyamalan movie or something and that's what <laughs> this is and it's almost always that mm-hmm. uh yeah. but they're they're hoping to capitalize on this uh and as they go to check out their new battery backup cameras uh and mention their power outages to the very tired and condescending clerk angel um he jokes about them being in a ufo hotspot uh and sort of insists his way into coming to do the install for them you get the idea that this guy might be a little bit more into the idea of the ufos than anything else he info dumps about his recent breakup to them before going to install the cameras yeah yeah i feel bad for him but also he seems like a handful i get it you know like he's and plus (laughs) ufo people nothing against ufo people but uh, he does the you know watch them on their cameras just because he wants to so maybe it wasn't all the cw pilot that she left yeah. him for. i don't know <laughs> um m heads out to what she describes as the store while oj and the clerk continue to set up uh oj has him point the camera mostly towards the sky at all the locations they're setting up the camera and the clerk and oj talk about the declassified ufo footage that came out a few years ago and theories of alien life out there and the clerk is clearly very uh angel is clearly very heated about this uh he even recommends the show ancient aliens at one point mm-hmm. um solidifying very quickly <laughs> his uh lack of skepticism to the siblings more grounded uh appeal to this alien um yeah. now i'm curious not because i brought it up but just in general where are you on aliens uh i you know i don't think we're the only life in the universe but i think i fall into the boring category of probably there's amoebas somewhere out there um Mm. i don't i don't typically put too much stock into we've been visited by a flying saucer type things um i'm sure something out there's no like statistically there's no way we're the only planet where life developed but right you know it's probably tadpoles or something or completely different and incomprehensible um and i don't know if we'll ever find an answer to that in my lifetime that makes sense yeah i think that's probably reasonable it's either that for me or the aliens kill us all in one shot i don't <laughs> think we're getting this i don't think there's no. going to be aliens just hanging around um but that is the most entertaining example or mm-hmm. like answer to that question i guess so i see why it keeps coming up but yeah i find it yeah. a little hard to believe um or i guess it's hard to care about um for me but mm-hmm. i get the appeal yeah, I, I love a good alien in my science fiction. Mm-hmm. I grew up on Star Trek, so like, <laughs> this yeah. genre is a favorite of mine. But um, no, I think my actual real-world opinion on aliens is a bit more boring than would work on screen. This is certainly a much more entertaining way to use them if you're going to be making a movie. <laughs> yeah, and I, I do think this is the only especially the way that this one plays out i can't think of anything else that's quite like this Mm -hmm. yeah like i do think this works as an alien movie but it also works as like this take on an alien movie Mm -hmm. that even if you were kind of tired of alien movies i still think you'd be into yeah this is a really unique take like on a lot of it's it's kind of mashing up a couple different genres in a way that is just Mm -hmm. working in a very uniquely synergizes um you get kind of like the monster horror elements you get some more straight science fiction and just Everything is creating this beautiful soup of <laughs> yeah. an alien movie. Off in the distance, M yells for help uh, and shows the horse decoy statue that she has stolen from the yeah. Jupiter's Claim Park. Uh, it's got these like flags still tied to the back of it. 
Uh, and at that moment, as OJ is like, ah, oh, what did you do? Uh, Jupe stops by to invite them to his new family live show. And M manages to talk around their definitely stolen horse decoy. <laughs> mm-hmm. That was cute. Yeah. Uh, the clerk, Angel, finishes installing the cameras and goes to leave, offering to monitor the feeds himself and getting turned down. They're still pretty wary of this weirdly eager to watch the camera's guy and the next sequence title clover pops up on screen right at night oj goes about doing some work while em retires to her trailer watching oprah uh, as oj sets up an orb like the one that had previously spooked lucky on set uh and as he's doing so a winnie draws his attention to one of their stables slash training grounds slash pen arenas it's the big stable with the big open area in the middle horse building (laughs) coliseum yeah uh yeah Uh, horse horse thunderdome Um, Mm -hmm. yeah (laughs) i like that yeah uh investigating the thunderdome he shuts off the lights and the noises from within stop but as he walks away all of the lights go back on and everything powers on as some low metallic thudding and whinnies begin again very similar to the sounds we've been hearing throughout and as he watches someone in shadow approaches walking hunched and almost slow and curious like with this like white hollow looking face Um, yeah what did you think was going on here when this happened the first like, time I saw this it? movie, I was like, oh, wow, they're really introducing like land-based aliens pretty quickly. I didn't think that that was mm-hmm. the vibe they were going for. Um, yeah, I was, I, I fully bought it the first time. And the second time, I'm like, oh, that's clever. <laughs> yeah, and they, they did put this in the trailer a little bit. And also mm-hmm. some of the merchandise from the Jupe Legacy uh, or Jupiter's yeah. Claim like, show. So I do remember seeing this and going like, oh, I see what this is. This is little alien guys or whatever. And we're mm-hmm. going to find out that the tri- twist is going to be that they're nice or something. Um, but that is not what it is. And yeah, this feels like yeah. the most clear kind of red mm-hmm. herring. Um, and I do like that this movie does feel very, like so much of this feels intentional, uh, like intentionally designed to keep everybody, um, just like to keep a lot of this stuff hidden because i think Mm -hmm. it mostly works yeah and this was it's a different kind of scare than we get throughout the rest of the movie because a lot of the subsequent sequences kind of rely on us not quite seeing what it is that is Mm -hmm. haunting or chasing or eating uh and here we have the closest visual on the aliens which will turn out to be jupe's kids uh playing a prank on the ranch for stealing their decoy hoist but before that reveal happens, uh, OJ takes out his phone, says nope, and begins to record, trying to get the footage. Uh, and they have a what genuinely did scare me quite a bit the first time I saw it, because uh, we watched the first little figure slowly round the corner of the pen uh, when a similar face appears from over the shoulder of OJ. And as OJ punches him, this is when we find out it's just all the kids in a mask from the ranch. Yeah, I, I the thing that stops me the most from like, fully enjoying horror movies are like jump scares and stuff Mm -hmm. like that this movie has two um if you count this whole sequence as one um and the other one is the windshield horse thing but beyond that i do think for someone like me who doesn't like jump scares this is probably as good as you're gonna get yeah um Um, especially because those two are pretty telegraphed like you can just kind of go okay that right this one's gonna happen yeah um yeah it's that everything else works better as like yeah like you're saying that like 
slow simmering tension kind of stuff. Yeah, it, it, this movie almost uh, pedals in dread more than it does shock, uh, which is, mm-hmm. I think, why it's so fun to rewatch uh, and still kind of manages to get a lot of the same feelings out of it. But very similar boat to you, I really don't like jump scares because um, I don't feel like they're super effective. Uh, yeah. You know, it's just like, oh, I'm shocked and now I'm over it. Uh, but I think this movie does a good job of throwing in exactly the right amount of them to be unexpected and sort of shock you out of being like, okay, I know what's coming because I'm used to the formula. Right. Um, but other than that, like the main thrust of the horror of this movie is really based around that growing, mounting awareness that something is wrong and that you know the signs and now it's happening and there's no avoiding it, uh, which I find really effective, but also much more palatable to watch uh, as a non-jump scare fan. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Yeah, I wish more movies would do this um, because all the horror movies I really like do um mm-hmm. and uh yeah i don't think it's needed i think it it's it feels very cheap these days as a way to kind of keep your thing mm-hmm. slightly scary so that you can't quite go like yeah it didn't have any thoughts whatsoever um but yeah it feels like it's the easy way out of these kind of things yeah it's i feel like it's a lot easier to throw a jump scare in your movie than to actually like take the time to craft yeah. the feeling of dread um and some movies use both great like we did we've done alien on this podcast before and that movie Mm -hmm. has plenty of jump scares in it but also a big part of the fear factor is that you don't know where anything is but you know what the signs are so you have that kind of growing fear uh and it's not exactly the same as it is here i think they do more to telegraph what's about to happen um but it works for this movie and and it is uncommon of your like (laughs) nightmare on elm street sevens or whatever Mm -hmm. (laughs) you know jaws 11 <laughs> getting to well yeah and i feel like there there have been a lot of them recently like i don't watch the like mike flanagan stuff i've heard mm-hmm. it's good but i also heard that that new thing he made has like a bazillion jump scares and that was kind of the point as he was like i'm just gonna fill this with jump scares for fun but um a lot of stuff like that when it comes out that's like the babadook or whatever i'm like i bet this is good but also i'm not gonna have fun like yeah. this is not gonna be a good time for me because <laughs> of how much it probably relies on jump scares mm-hmm. and yeah i haven't seen the babadook so maybe that's a bad example but they make <laughs> a lot of the insidious and you know all those i think yeah. do have a fair amount of that mm-hmm. and especially if you're doing like a monster movie right for lack of a better yeah. word um particularly when your monster is not quite on the scale that this alien is operating on in terms mm-hmm. of raw size it is i feel like very easy to just throw them into a shadows behind someone it's the problem i had when i was watching the x-files by the time i got to season five i'm like i've learned the cinematography of the show and every time someone stands in the third i expect yeah inevitably that something's gonna pop up on the other side of the screen and it always does um and that's you know that's the kind of shorthand that you get when the genre is as widespread as horror but it does sort of lessen the impact uh oh absolutely of those jump scares yeah i have i used to be like like you like there were some things that would work on me nothing works less on me than the character looking in a mirror oh ducks down to spit out some water comes back up the monsters there like and i do yeah. think if i'm retiring one shot it's that um <laughs> but i think i've seen i forget what i saw something recently where that doesn't happen and i was like oh okay cool so yeah you know we're playing with it that or the car crash i'm so tired of like <laughs> a movie where 
characters are arguing or like it's some sort of like thing in a car and then because mm-hmm. now anytime a character gets in a car and has an innocuous argument you're like oh okay, okay. this is gonna yeah they're dead now yeah <laughs> there was a year where like we got shazam did it dark phoenix did it within like a couple of weeks of each other <laughs> that was maybe when it was fully dead for me yeah we can just go ahead and retire both of those uh shorthands yeah. Unlike the tape scenes, rewinding no slowly every time you smash oh, yeah. any audio device. Like, we'll, mm-hmm. we will take more of that in exchange for less of the mirror shot. Yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, we cut back to the video store where Angel is staying after hours uh, to monitor some video. Mm-hmm. I wonder what he could be doing. Meanwhile, walking the ranch, OJ goes to get Clover, one of the other horses, back inside while M watches the video cameras in their shed. Uh, and a praying mantis spooks her. This is the, probably one of the oh, other yeah, jump cuts in the about film. This one. Yeah. Yep, yep. Uh, a praying mantis like drops its little head in front of the camera and blocks a lot of the shot. Uh, she gets a call immediately from Angel telling her that there is a bug in front of camera A and that camera B is down. He's uh, trying to guy in the chariot a little bit. Mm-hmm. OJ tries yeah. to lead Clover back towards the ranch, but the horse refuses to go any further and as he stares one of the lights in the distance goes out and the wind picks up uh all of our kind of fake out false alarm red herring jump scares out of the way we're back to the haunting as expected um so to speak buzzing and uh like the cylinder of dust begins to rise into the sky and angel still on the phone with m tries to grasp what's happening because whatever it is it's in that cloud uh yeah M yells for her brother to run, and OJ does not need her to tell him twice, <laughs> and mm-hmm. takes off, ducking into the shed stable thing as a disc-like shape flies through the clouds, and the power surges again, uh, but this time their new cameras do stay on. M goes up to the roof to get the bug off of the camera by throwing Sour Patch Kids at it, which mostly made me crave Sour Patch Kids. Uh, yeah, I, I, same. <laughs> I was like, oh yeah, those are fun. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Gonna go after this podcast, make a target run, guy. Honestly, <laughs> I might do the same. Um, it definitely next time I see them somewhere, I will yeah. be reminded of that moment, and then maybe pick them up. Yeah. Now I feel, you know, I think this movie might have influenced my choice of movie theater snack for the following year mm, because I usually true. am a diehard bunch of Crunch fan, but recently mm. I've been dipping into Sour Patch Kids more, and I'm wondering if maybe Nope isn't the source of that after all. It's very possible. Um, they are fun. They are good, and yeah, they're yeah. they're just solid snacks. Unless you're trying to get a praying mantis off of a camera, and then they're not particularly yeah, they effective. Um, I feel like Bunch of Crunch would probably be about as good. Yeah. Uh, if I had to say the snack that I think would work the best against the praying mantis, it would be whatever the biggest one is. So maybe like a like Twizzler like a, yeah, or something like that. Yeah, I was going to say like that. a Twizzler. If you can control the, the rotation yeah. on that, you could probably get some good bug mm. smackage. <laughs> yeah. And it would just, I feel like the bug might be like, oh, sh- that's something bigger than me, yeah. uh, as opposed to the Bunch of Crunches, but... Also, that bug is just really I don't it's know dedicated how it's to hang that in long. There. Yeah. <laughs> um, Clover continues to run. OJ watching as the saucer flies out from in front of the moon and off after Clover. The wind picks up. There are shrieking sounds, and as it quiets, the lights turn back on, and the shape once more flies up and into the sky. And Clover is nowhere to be seen. Yeah. Out of all of the things that get aliened up this was the one that was like the most upsetting for me because it was just a horse like it didn't know what was going on it got all the idiots who got you know eaten by it later were in that kind of yeah you're in danger or like at least you knew what you were signing up for but this Mm -hmm. is the only i think i don't know about that it's one of the only horses we actually see 
get noped um mm-hmm. and yeah it's just i don't know it's that's it, that thing where like people connect more with animals than people um in situations like this and yeah, yeah. it's pretty sad Mm-hmm. And the way that they reveal it, it is gone too. Unlike some subsequent scenes where it's a lot more like the person is sucked up. Um, here, it's just sort of like swipe by, horse is gone. Uh, yeah. Leaves a lot more to the imagination. Uh, reviewing the cameras, M wants them to leave the ranch right now, f- fulfilling the uh, key part of the horror movie where someone says, hey, why don't we leave? And then everyone is determined to stay. So uh, they stay at the ranch. Um mm-hmm. OJ flashes back to his father talking to him about Ghost being a territorial problem horse. Uh, and the next day, M calls Antlers, one of the film crew from the earlier right. shoot. Yeah. Who I was trying so hard to figure out his exact role on that production because he seems to be reviewing tape in the way that an editor might. Uh, but his big thing that they're trying to get him to do is to come record footage like a cinematographer. So I, I was yeah. really... I, I feel like guy. cinematographer, <laughs> maybe even like director, um, yeah. like DP or something like that. Because, yeah, the way that the place where he is during the shoot where we meet him, I feel like that's like a directory bit. Mm-hmm. But also there's that guy from the Ocean's Eleven movies who's also at that shoot. I'm like, is this guy the director? <laughs> is he like producer? I don't know. Yeah. I don't really make it super clear. But yeah. Mm-hmm. She wants his help in getting the shot of whatever is out here on the ranch. Uh, and he was the character I think I had the hardest time like take continuing the illusion of the movie with because of the mm. way he is particularly insanely grizzled sounding in his voice like he's doing an action hero the whole time uh, uh, yeah. Michael him. Wincott so played him <laughs> I, I love yeah. him but there was something about the tone of him is just so incongruous to the rest of the movie where I was like this is taking me out of it for just a brief brief moment yeah I think my deal with him is again and it, it, we're almost there mm-hmm. the moment where the character for me said the thing that made me go, oh, I know what this movie was. It makes him feel much more comfortable in it because of the role he fills and kind of how that relates to stuff. I was mm-hmm. looking at things, like trying to figure out what I know him from. Um, I haven't seen Treasure Planet in a while, but he apparently plays a character named Scroop in that. Huh. Um, also was in Alien Resurrection, which I don't even remember which one that is. <laughs> um, and he did a voice in the Halo too. But yeah, there's not, I'm like, He's he's the only guy here who I don't fully remember from stuff. Um, yeah, I think yeah. he's a little bit of a character actor because even um, Scroop in Treasure Planet is like the particularly villainous-looking pirate guy who gets thrown mm. off into space at some point, like the very deep-voiced kind of second-in-command. So, I, but looking at his uh, IMDb page, I think maybe he plays a lot of um edgy metaphorical grizzled talking characters more so than being known for any one particular thing that's fair (laughs) is he british he does a lot of things that it's like count of monte cristo uh what was the other one in here not that i think that's a british person probably i don't know where that's supposed to take place monte (laughs) cristo spain i guess Uh, maybe i don't know if you've Um, checked out his trivia section at all but he is known for his apathetic stance on celebrity and the ideals of hollywood (laughs) Oh, that's good. Another reason why they just couldn't get yeah any Oscars. Um, looks like he is he had born to an English father and Italian mother uh, in Toronto. So yeah, huh? Cool. <laughs> but he uh, in this movie does turn them down, uh, kind of brushing off their request to have him come 
film. He They haven't managed to quite pique his interest about whatever's happening, despite changing from reality to documentary and trying to get his interest in this once-in-a-lifetime thing, but he's just not buying it. Um, after he hangs up on them, Angel pulls up, uh, this time on what I think is his day off, to stare at the sky. Mm-hmm. He is a true believer and shows them the security camera footage from the previous night where, or the previous day where one cloud doesn't move at all as he scrubs through it at high speed, just stays stationary in the sky. That is not enough for Oprah, though. They need more proof. But OJ posits that whatever is in that cloud is not a ship. And then we get our next title, Gordy. Mm. And this is like right in the middle of the movie, too. Yeah. Which I think it's interesting because... As I was watching it, I was like, oh, cool. This means we're going to get the, you know, the stage show or like the mm-hmm. live show scene. But then it wasn't. And I'm it, like, I'm not surprised that they did that or like confused. But I was like, that's an interesting choice. Yeah. I think like when you've finished the movie, the pacing makes a lot of sense. But when you are watching it the first time, it does feel very early for Gordy to be coming back around. Um, since right. we've seen so little of Jupe since his kind of introduction. Um but we return to the shooting of Gordy's home, the fateful episode where everything went wrong. Uh, and as a balloon pops, the normalcy of the scene ends. We kind of see the dialogue that we had previously heard over titles before of people bringing gifts for the monkey. And I got you this uh, watch set to Icelandic time because uh, you like the Aurora Borealis. Uh, and all of those sort of sitcom gags cut away immediately as the uh, rampage of the monkey begins. And we push our way through a soundstage in 1998, uh, slowly approaching the set of Gordy's home in the aftermath. Uh, We cut to Jupe's POV as a kid as we watch uh, more of that earlier scene where Gordy the monkey is getting up on the couch. Uh, He seems to have been just wailing on the one woman. Um, I think it's the sister character. So we see that her makes a bit sense, later because she yeah. survives yeah mm-hmm. uh whose shoe is the one standing straight up it seems like he's chilling out a bit until he notices the girl on the ground move and he goes in to attack once more the dad actor tries to flee the scene but is chased out of the point of view of jupe by gordy uh and jupe hones in on that one shoe again that has haunted mm-hmm. <laughs> both him and reviewers of this film alike Uh, standing perfectly upright as Gordy walks back to in front of the table, which he is hiding under. Um, Gordy kind of like nudges at the foot of the woman on the ground and removes his party hat, which is when he spots the young jupe. Gordy approaches him very slowly, reaching out his hand through the, his very bloody, bloody monkey hand through the tablecloth to get a fist bump from jupe, as was their kind of bit on the show. And as soon as jupe reaches back to give him that fist pump the fist bump the uh monkey is shot by animal control or the police or whoever had shown up to deal with the rampage as chatter and sirens continue we cut back to the present where jupe is in his office staring off in the distance uh at where the memorabilia is all stored until his wife amber manages to pull him back and get his attention yeah, yeah, that's fun. So it is just something every minute of his life mm-hmm. is just remembering this horrible moment, <laughs> um, which feels right. Yeah. Seems like that would be a deeply traumatic event for a kid to go through. <laughs> Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that ends the Gordy sequence and we go to the next title, Lucky, who you'll remember is the horse from the beginning of the film. Angel is tarping 
the cameras since a storm is coming and in a pile of horse shit oj spots the invitation to jupe's show whether that was metaphorical or not pretty funny to just literally uh call be like what is this show it's horse shit yeah (laughs) i mean it's a pretty cool show yeah if it were a safe show (laughs) it might be the best show ever yeah like at one of these weird little park things so Mm -hmm. i can't complain or like i can't fault uh for thinking this is gonna like be sick yeah but yeah just doesn't (laughs) quite work nope uh oj decides he's gonna head out to get lucky back uh heading for jupiter's claim at the lasso experience jupe is taking center stage to begin the show with mary joe elliott in the crowd his sister from gordy who is wearing a veiled sun hat so you can't quite see her face uh and to a very modest crowd of you know 20 30 so people um he's preparing to perform his jacket has a ufo embroidered on the back of it Mm. and uh that is the one piece of costuming in this movie i would give anything to get to wear yeah that one i love love that one um I love his hat. I like that he wears a big mm-hmm. old cowboy hat. Big old uh, cowboy Those always hat. look hilarious on anybody. <laughs> um, it's even cowboys. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, that is that is maybe the most fun bit of costuming for yeah. sure. I love a red suit, and this one just hit that perfect point. Um, he describes the spectacle his family has been seeing for the last few Fridays, uh, telling the story of a day he was trying to go see Trigger, a horse who needed some wrangling. And as he did, he saw a flying saucer descend uh, and Trigger took off towards the saucer. And at this description of how the horse had run into the valley after this alien, Jupe reveals a takes a tarp off of the cage next to him to reveal Lucky in said cage with the door facing the very valley that Trigger had run off to as Jupe dubs the alien the viewers and tells the audience about the star of this lasso experience, the viewer, who will change them through this show. Um, I love that Jupe calls this alien the viewer because it does feel very like, I'm a child uh, star. I, my whole life was based around the viewership of these shows and things and now... I cannot think of this alien as anything but more like a future audience. Right. And very, and in it, yeah. And this is very in keeping with Jordan Peele's like the, you know, mm-hmm. the relationship between movie stars and the audience is the thing that gets them all killed or like is the, is the problem. Um, mm-hmm. Everything, pretty much everything he says in this little thing is a very good monologue or not like his monologue, but his um, uh, presentation is like a good, Mm-hmm. explanation of like the thesis of the movie which is good i like that they yeah. do that and it tricks you in the beginning a little bit um i forgot that he calls it the viewer until this most recent rewatch <laughs> um yeah yeah i guess because i guess i forgot about that because if that were the only name we ever got for mm-hmm. it it would probably stick more but it's not yeah so. it's not yeah well it will be redubbed a new name audience fear not <laughs> if you have mm-hmm. somehow gotten this deep into the podcast and not watched the movie we'll get to it um yeah we still haven't kind of gotten over the whole twist. So if you haven't seen it and you're like, this sounds interesting, this is your last kind of shot before yeah. <laughs> we spoil the surprise of what it is uh, mm-hmm. fully. So, If you're somehow you know. unfamiliar with the thesis of this podcast where you get the entire plot of the movie, now is a good time to um, really reconsider that. <laughs> yeah. You know, go watch it, pause it, and then come yeah. back. Uh, but we cut away from the lasso show as flags lower from the cloud and a roar begins to pick up. Emerging from the cloud is the faint shape of the saucer, uh, Jupe remarking that they're early, 
and that they're really giving the audience a show, but something is clearly off. Um, all the power at the show begins to turn off as everyone's eyes turn to the sky and the wind picks up. There are screams and chatter, and uh, we stay on Jupe as the dust begins to overtake all of them as he looks straight up, uh, kind of just like right where the camera lens is, if not slightly, slightly above it, but looking at us. Um, I wonder what that... Because we, we get the introduction of the whole thing. Mm-hmm. He does this whole speech, like, you know, I forget what what's that first line it's like what if i told you that blah 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 really dramatic really good reveals yeah. the horse and then he's like by the way here's an hour of my kids dancing or whatever before <laughs> the thing shows up i wonder what that was yeah, and who right? was like i think we can open for the alien with <laughs> our little routine like i could not imagine being in the audience like no. we could have just started this later it's fine <laughs> we don't need the kids but yeah hey cool i guess mm-hmm. they would have loved that um I guess Maybe something the kids. had to go wrong to throw nepotism, it off. Nepotism, man, yeah. in Hollywood. They love, <laughs> they love the nepotism. Mm-hmm. Uh, the um, flying saucer sucks on everyone up. Uh, everyone is squeezed into this, like, fibrousy, membrane part. And this was probably, I think, for me, the most, like, terrifying part of the movie in some ways. I'm like, this is the part mm-hmm. where I'm like, oh, it's right. It's a horror movie. It's not just, like, a slow yeah thing um because people are just screaming and being squished in this like tent like squelching thing that you can't quite grasp the shape or the size of uh it's just that for longer than it's ever held again in the movie um yeah and i guess it's supposed to be like its stomach or something right because it has when you get to the top there's like little things that i assume have like digestive acid in them or whatever Mm -hmm. um so that part was cool. It's cool because there's a lot of stuff like that where you're like, you see the people in the thing and you're like, what is this? And then you get up to that bit and it's like, oh, this is like a body part or something. Yeah. Um, so that's pretty, mm-hmm. yeah, it's pretty cool. It kind of plays with the idea of like alien abduction. You're going to get like probed mm-hmm. by the Martians or whatever, except this is just so much more animal in some ways. Yeah. Um, you're probing the Martians kind of. like <laughs> In a way, if you want to think about to- it. Yeah. <laughs> Assuming this is from Mars, but mm-hmm, mm-hmm. might as well be. Who can know? Who knows for sure? Um, OJ arrives at the park only to find it abandoned and off kilter. The power is back on, but no one is there. He walks into the show arena where only Lucky, neighing in its cage, remains. In the distance, the saucer flies back into the clouds as OJ tries to get Lucky to come closer without himself exiting the shelter that he's standing under. Um, and we watch as the alien saucer kind of like flies in and out of the clouds as the faint sound of popping and people screaming as the saucer circles overhead get louder and closer. Um, the saucer comes to ice OJ and kicks up dust. And as it covers him in this rubble, we cut to the nighttime where OJ is laying on the floor of the stable with Lucky. Uh, they are... Not eaten by an alien this time. <laughs> yeah, I'm. This is the part. This was the part for me where I'm like, oh, this isn't gonna be just a bunch of sad, like just a bunch of like horrible stuff because mm-hmm. the that horse makes it. Yeah, and I was I was happy to see <laughs> that horse survive. Lucky made it. Back at the ranch, Angel and M shut down for the night. Uh, Angel is about to head out uh, as OJ is getting back in his car to try and call M to get her uh, and tell her that he was right. It's not a ship. It is an animal. Uh, but as Angel begins to drive away, his music in his car stops, as does the car itself, and the whooshing sound we know picks up in the distance. 
OJ explains on the phone to M that the saucer ate everyone and that it is a territorial animal that thinks this is its home. Uh, sort of, that's the explanation of the, the creature in this film. Uh, as he says this, the power goes out at the ranch house and Angel runs back inside, grabbing a knife as M watches out the window <laughs> as the light kicks on and faint screaming gets louder along with the whooshing. Um, so two things there. Yeah. One, real quick. Did you think in this moment, like, oh, no, he's going to get shot or something because someone's <laughs> going to think he's trying to kill her with a knife. There's going to be some dumb misunderstanding. Um, no, you know, I kept waiting for someone to get um, eaten by the alien with a sharp object because he grabs oh, the knife yeah. here and then later on he'll be wrapped in barbed wire. And I'm like, that's going to be mm. how they get it is it's going to eat something that really messes with it. But this is just for comedy in this particular yeah. point. Yeah, and kind of like, I guess, like, another thing as a um like this isn't quite that but there's that uh you watch community yeah community (laughs) so like remember when abed explains this perfect horror movie it's like we each grab a knife and stand back to back and wait (laughs) for the you know the monster to come so we can Mm -hmm. stab it like kind of like that yeah um i will say this and i know what you know this is kind of the reveal of the movie but this is also the reveal of like what we're doing with this movie Mm -hmm. right because that that word territorial really stuck out to me i remember when i saw it i was like oh this is jaws yes because that is the word specifically that what's his name uses richard dreyfus uses mm-hmm. to describe what the shark is and then when you see that that's why um uh what is his name holt or host or whatever holst yeah. um antlers. antlers that's why he works for me more is like oh he's just supposed to be the crazy captain quint guy right and like that guy is also like a cartoon character in that movie so that works a little bit more um, yeah. But that's why for this watch, because I hadn't done this before, but I kind of wanted to. I watched Nope and Jaws at the same time. Hmm. Just played them both to see if anything syncs up. And a lot of stuff syncs up. Really? Like every time the shark shows up is when the ship shows up. Um, I took some notes. Uh, and there's like small things. But like even like the first actual on-screen death is around the same time huh. when the girl gets eaten by the shark. And when uh, what's-his-name gets shot through the head with the coin. Uh, it's about four and a half minutes into the movie. What were some of the other ones, other things that I mentioned? Um, the monologue with the sketch where he's explaining the sketch is the same time Quint does his monologue about how the shark has doll eyes and stuff. Not exactly the same thing, but similar. Mm-hmm. Uh, exactly 23 minutes and 28 seconds into the movie, uh, two characters drink for the first time, which I thought was weird. <laughs> um, it's just like a little thing, but I, that that one stuck out to me. And it's But it's part of kind of the pacing where it's like serious thing, and then we take a break to chill. I even mm-hmm. think these movies probably take place over the course of about the same amount of days yeah. um, because of the day-night um, cycle of both. Uh, what else is here? Um yeah, ghost and uh, the so the ghost one is interesting um, because that syncs up with the time that Jaws gets those people on the dock, hmm. which is the time which is interesting because Ghost gets eaten. The dock guys, I believe, both survive that encounter, but the only thing that gets caught by the shark in that is the bait that they throw out to try to catch know. the shark, which is like a pork roast or something so it's like the ghost is that should be the signal that like oh the horses are bait for this thing mm-hmm. um 31 minutes is when both characters the guys in the town uh the reporters come in and when they go to buy the recording equipment and when they're like we're gonna be rich this is something we can use to make money um 
That 46 minutes, both characters use the CCTV system to try to see the animal. Richard Dreyfus has like a thing on his boat, which I totally forgot about, which is like a bunch of screens um, that he's going to use to uh, find the shark in, or not even find the shark. They're kind of looking for the shark, but they're really looking for that other boat that disappeared. Oh, right. Uh, 58 minutes in, 58, or excuse me, 48 minutes, 50 seconds, both characters take out a ladder. This isn't really that important, but I thought it was weird. Um <laughs> At a minute or an hour in, about three or five minutes in, is when the first, uh, the big shark attack in the middle of Jaws happens, where it's Brody's son almost, um, which I thought was going to sync up with the killing on the, um, like, the the Jupiter's Legacy thing. Mm -hmm. But it actually syncs up with the Gordy's home bit, which isn't quite the same thing, but it's also like a kid in danger of being eaten by a monster kind of situation. It's true. So, like, I do think the tension in that kind of works. Um, there are other things that, like, sync up later. Um, but I do think that, like, the archetypes of, like, OJ and Emerald are the same. They're, they're like, one character. They're mm-hmm. Brody, the cop. Angel is the technician who shows up later, and that's Hopper or Hooper. I can't remember what that character's name is, um, Richard Dreyfuss. And then, yeah, the other guy, uh, Park, uh, or not Park, excuse me. Um, Antlers, Holst. Antlers is is the other guy. And then um, Jupe is the mayor of Jaws, who's always like, no, we need to keep the business open and make money, and fuck nature, we'll be fine. And uh, he doesn't get eaten by the shark, which would be great. But uh, <laughs> But, yeah, like his whole... Thing gets torn up right around the same time and it's like hey, yeah, this is gonna work this guy's wrong um so yeah i thought that was fun um that's even cool the same amount of line. letters in the name of the movie right jaws huh. nope like there's there's a lot and there's way more stuff at the end that i think is more important mm-hmm. um but yeah that was and they're about the same amount of time nope is maybe uh two hours ten minutes and jaws is two hours and three minutes but jaws has way fewer credits so they do end around the same time too. Huh. That's a I I've never picked up on that. That's an incredibly cool comparison. But even like the way that they treat their respective, you know, monster, the shark and the alien in this case, yeah. like the alien is moving in and out of the clouds in the same way that like you only yes. ever see parts of the shark at first and it's not until the very very end that it's like shark's here, alien's here. And it's here. all those scenes where like a guy is just looking up at the clouds or mm-hmm. looking down at the water and you're like something's up there, the characters know it but they can't find it. Yeah. So they're all really scared about where it's going to show up next. Um also, when you start getting a look at the monster itself, it's got the same kind of skin texture as a shark it would. Does. It's got that leathery kind of gray um skin which I think is interesting because it's this is the first time the bit at the Jupiter's Legacy thing where you see it full in the light of day mm-hmm. when it comes and tries to eat um, OJ. And besides us already kind of knowing it's not a ship because he's already said that, but not he hasn't explained what it is. It does this, it does look a lot more leathery and kind of like skin um, than it has before, which I think is interesting. Um, yeah, it, yeah, it really draws that parallel. I think, I mean, it's both movies do such a good job of utilizing basically the same structure. It's, Mm-hmm. I think it's a really good example of like how to do an homage, but not yeah. let everyone realize that they're watching an homage at the same time. Like both movies stand completely on their own. Um, nope stands completely on its own. But yeah, you're a hundred percent right. Like <laughs> the parallels oh, yeah. are. Now that you point them out, I'm like, oh, of course. <laughs> and like it really Alien is Jaws. That, this stuff is is the beginning stuff is all like set up in kind of characters and little moments that are like plotting. Mm-hmm. But then a lot of the big decisions that come later in the movie are like this is they're like 
the later stuff is where I'm like, there's no way that this isn't what he was doing yeah. specifically. Um, because yeah, we'll get to it. But, mm-hmm. um, but yeah. And this is kind of, this is your midpoint where the characters become, decide to actively try to catch the thing or like kill it. Cause they have no other choice. Yeah. Um, they're, which is kind of what Quentin shows up and like, they, mm-hmm. the, everybody has to go do that thing now. Yeah. They got their plan. They've got their strategy. Um, mm-hmm. Right now, though, they are just stuck in the house. Uh, M realizes that the alien is right above them. Uh, she motions to Angel, and from inside the alien, we hear the squelching, and then the screaming stops, and the alien begins to send debris and blood falling all over the house, just like when metal fell from the sky and killed Otis Sr. Uh, blood drips down the windows. Very. This is very classic horror movie aesthetics. The alien yeah. has had its meal and it has digested. So good. And so, so weird looking. Yeah. Um, like, I do think there are a lot of shots in this movie that are like the shot. Um, but that might be the single shot of like just the blood raining down mm-hmm. on the house that I think is the most like interesting as its own little thing. Um uh, compared to like some of the other ones that are really fun in context and you like remember them because they're super crazy or yeah. they're straight out of an anime or whatever. But like the, that one I think is the one that sticks out the most, um, which is, yeah, it's mm-hmm. pretty cool. And this is also the point in the movie where you start to like realize kind of how this monster works for lack of a better word. Yeah. Um, and so you're like, oh, it's had its meal and now it is expelling the waste like that's why these things are raining down and that's an extra level of like horror of like oh those people are gone there is no way to bring any of them back these characters yeah. have died and been monsterized monsterized eaten they've been eaten mm-hmm. yeah <laughs> at this point oj reaches the zone where the power cuts out and his truck comes to a stop he sees the alien hovering above the house and as oj watches uh the torrential water of the storm uh becomes a this harder deluge over the front of his windshield and eventually stops falling on his truck as the alien is now directly over him blocking the rain once again he says nope very reasonable reaction to this situation and this is the horse right i think yeah he goes to get like a better view through the windshield and the uh horse decoy falls into the passenger seat side of his truck um I mean, it's the second, maybe third, if you count the praying mantis jump scare uh, of the movie. Yeah. Um, I also think <laughs> it's interesting because this scene, do you remember the song that's playing on his radio? Oh, no. It was subtitled. What was it? I don't remember the name of the uh, musician, but it's that I wear my sunglasses at night yes. song. Yeah. I wonder if that's specifically because of how much day for night they had to use when mm-hmm. they were shooting this movie. Because you can see it when there's all those shots of him wearing the hat where there's, at you know, midnight where there's a lot of shadow on his face and i do think they did a really good job with like photographing night and doing that Mm -hmm. kind of day for night thing um but especially since game of thrones and some of the worst versions of it i have noticed that more and more um as like a thing yeah Um, they do they go for the kind of more classic like blue wash to indicate day for night which i personally really like i feel like it's a good compromise between Look, we're all suspending disbelief here that this is actually nighttime. We don't need to just make sure everything is realistically lit to where you can't see anything unless that's the intended effect. But I think they do a good job of making sure there's enough contrast mm-hmm. between like the object you need to be looking at and the yes. nighttime where I'm like, okay, I can I, I, I appreciate this level of handling day for night because, oh man, Game of Thrones did it so bad. 
<laughs> yeah, and like it keeps happening in shows. I can't remember what the other one was that did it kind of recently that people were complaining about. Mm-hmm. I don't think it was um, Last of Us, but it might have been. It was something like that. Um, oh, no, it was Mandalorian. They oh, just yeah. did it this week. And it wasn't quite day for night, but it was like that, like everything super washed out mm-hmm. um, to make it seem like darker. But it's like it has to be a little not dark because we're supposed to see something, right? Mm-hmm. And um, and uh, the other Game of Thrones show, the House of the Dragon, did it pretty badly yeah. last year, uh, whenever that came out, um, for one of the episodes. So it's proof that it can be done well. It's kind of like CGI, where like yeah. there's bad CGI, and people see and go, CGI is bad. And it's like, no, there's a lot of it you don't notice mm-hmm. that's good, but you just don't notice that yeah. stuff. For years, Day oh. for Night just meant that you blew gradient or threw blue gel on everything you were right. shooting, and we all just accepted that as like, this is the shorthand for nighttime. And then at some point, the last 10 years or so, we decided as a film community that it had to actually be dark and i think that that has been personally the downfall of day for night for me i think yeah i definitely i believe he used some sort of weird camera trick or like i don't know what it was but i think they invented some sort of new technology to like use two cameras shooting day for night to make it more Hmm. dynamic for this movie specifically um i'd have to look into that but i was listening to i think it was the movies for um uh like film joy did a video about um movies in general from this year and that nope came up and that was one of the things i mentioned but i yeah i i only saw it like yesterday um and just another reason that they should have gotten more credit at least in the technical exactly yeah Yeah. some cinematography stuff even like yeah because the day stuff is great but yeah Mm -hmm. all the night stuff better than any other movie could do that yeah uh, also, there's a little moment I love uh, that I just found very charming where uh, OJ, before leading back and us cutting away, locks the doors of his truck. <laughs> oh, yeah, that is cute. He just, like, flicks them down. Um, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, like in Jurassic Park, kind of, yeah. where all the characters lock the door, and it's like, it's no. Like, well, we know it's not going to do anything, but it is, you know, endearing. Um, yeah. Which... I would say that's not quite the other movie this is, but that it is the other movie that I feel like shares a lot of DNA with this mm-hmm. movie as the like the other theme park big attraction Spielberg. gone wrong. Yeah. Yeah, yeah and exactly. And it's so it's so weird that this didn't get attention from the Academy, but Fablemans, the movie about Steven Spielberg making <sighs> Jaws, or at least kind of coming up with the idea for Jaws did. Um, and I think Fablemans is good, but it's like you guys are one inch away from it. You're so, <laughs> so close. close. You You're like it when a guy makes a Jaws movie, right? Yeah. <laughs> Um, absolutely do yeah uh oj spends the night out in his truck and in the morning when he wakes up the power is back on uh he starts the engine and slowly starts driving up towards the house the decoy horse in the passenger seat the whole time uh em and angel are arguing at the door as they see oj coming debating if they should run to him or stay in the house uh and oj sees angel's truck over in the distance and kind of like sneaks around the side of his truck, giving it a wide berth before he makes for angels to try and get everyone into that truck so they can make their escape. M shouts to go. They take off running. And as they do, the power shuts back down. The popping picks back up. And we cut to a flashback. Uh, we, oh, yeah. That's we right. return to set at the beginning of the movie where the shiny disc spooked Lucky. And as OJ recollects, uh, recalls this uh, and rushes them into the truck. He never looks up at the alien as it passes right over them uh, harmlessly. They get to Lucky's apartment and regroup as a news report plays of the missing people from the Western theme park. Uh, Jupiter's claim. Uh, Antlers, meanwhile, is listening to this report as he watches his like thematic nature footage or whatever in his den yeah, of it's- film review. <laughs> 
It's really arbitrary. It's like he's trying to make the movie from the ring or something. Yeah. It's just like a lot of clips of things getting gotten. Um, but I guess it's cool. I don't know. He would like those things. He's and such like, like a character with a capital so cool. C, whereas everyone yeah. else feels kind of like to some degree like a person who could exist. Something about mm. Antlers to me is just like that is a character. <laughs> oh, absolutely. And maybe I wonder if this is based on a guy Jordan Peele, uh, Jordan Peele kind of <laughs> knows or something yeah. where it's like everybody in the movie industry is like, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that's, um, you know. I that's can't even Horns imagine McGee who it would be. <laughs> yeah. yeah, like that's Ralph McQuarrie. That's just what he looks like <laughs> and exactly what he sounds like. And yeah, that's something that's kind of mm-hmm. lost on us. But yeah, it's uh, it's very interesting. Also, I don't know if this is the case, but whenever something like this happens in a movie where it's like a lot of people mysteriously disappeared, I assume that not like because this is ever explained but that this alien also ate the Roanoke colony or something <laughs> like any mysterious disappearance in history where people just didn't go like they didn't leave, but they're all gone. It's like the, this was that. And I like that. Yeah, that's fun. <laughs> we could do a prequel where the Roanoke colony tries to kill the note, but it doesn't work. So I'll get eaten. No, like no. The predator movie that they set in the eight, 1800s. We just knowest. Yeah. Like what's the pre what's the yeah. equivalent of the old English word for no, that's a great question. <laughs> trying to flash back to all my shakespeare and it's not right yeah correct. it'd be like doth Nay. maybe or something yeah. like that yeah <laughs> it's definitely there's something um and yeah i think that's the best explanation for what happened <laughs> i'm sure there's a good explanation for the roanoke colony Rowan, no. but like, oh yeah <laughs> duh, of course yes yes yes, yes. And so, the, the Jordan, reveal of that in the title is like, listening. it's going to be all like equivalent re- recreations of the shots from Nope, but with the Roanoke mm-hmm. Colony, you know, era of clothing on it. And then the title, it's Nope. And then fading in on the front of it is the row up. <laughs> yeah. This, yeah. This works. Hit us up, Jordan. <laughs> this is a good idea. Yeah. Jordan. Yeah. <laughs> um, the trio now safely off the ranch gets some food uh, and OJ puts out his theory about the alien he says, if you don't look at its eye, it won't eat you, uh, kind of explaining his flashback from earlier. And he goes on to say how every animal has rules um, and that you can use to get it to do what you want or to train it, something a horse mm-hmm. trainer might be familiar with. So it's sort of kind of putting all of their profession to being perfectly synergizing with the particular foe they have to deal with in this movie. Um Angel wants to head back to his place, but OJ wants to uh, go get Lucky out of the trailer and return to their ranch. M turns to walk away from him, uh, but when she gets a phone notification, she returns with him instead. And back at the ranch, the trio lets Angel out and finds antlers waiting for them, having just called M to say that he is uh, on board now. He's ready to shoot some film. Yeah, he's got a fancy camera that works in no electricity. Yeah, it's hand so cranked it's and it shoots film, so it works when the power's out. Um, but it's an IMAX camera or something. <laughs> he says he invented it, but I'm like, I and I and I believe him because I don't think that is a real thing. But it's yeah. like that's like in the beginning when I'm watching this, the first time I'm like, I don't think anybody's gonna believe this footage but it's gonna be an imax camera like that's gonna be really good footage yeah if if they're able to get it like it's gonna be extremely clear yeah we're gonna be able to find out like the thing's skin conditions and stuff study it yeah antlers asks about how they see the alien on command and oj remarks that it's gonna get hungry again so basically their plan is to ring the dinner bell to get it to go where they want so that they can film it 
They also explain that it's not a fan of the plastic stuff, like the flags and the horse decoy. Um, it spit that out. It gave it a bad tummy ache, so it probably won't be eager to suck any of that up again. Jupe, uh, we also learned like what his whole deal with the show is, in case it was unclear earlier. He was trying to tame it uh, to use it for the show, but you can't do that. And that's why it ended up eating him and everyone else and is now here in this valley. It thinks it's it does territory. Seem, it seems to me, I understand what Jupe was going for, mm-hmm. but it does feel like the craziest thing to do if you found an alien and be like, yeah. I think I can make this part of my show. I'm sure the idea to kill it probably doesn't, like, isn't the best idea. But, like, looking at what happens, it's like, man, you guys, you had it. You could have done what these guys are going to do. And bazillionaires, like, how many people, like, what were there, like, maybe 40, 50 people at this show? That's not that many. You're not making that much money. Like, you have an alien dude. Like, <laughs> you could do something with that. I don't know. Yeah, it felt a little bit like, because, like, Jupe is the character, is the former child actor. Like, right. it felt like he needed to be part of the performance in some ways, but also, like, having this whole backstory where he works with another dangerous creature, so to speak. Yeah. Um, and I almost feel like he's primed to feel like he has to do that continually. Um, makes sense yeah, or at least everything has... looks like a hammer or what? what is it when everything when, every... when all you have is a hammer everything looks a like a nail yeah. yeah but luckily these guys are hammer people they're hammer <laughs> trainers and uh this thing is a nail so it's sick. yes like perfect for them but yeah mm-hmm. ruin jupe's whole thing they make a plan for how to get their footage um and oj dubs the alien jean jacket after the horse that m was supposed to train yeah, so this was my big one. Not my big one, because there's one later. But this is my thing. I'm like, why are they calling this horse Jean Jacket? And there's no <laughs> great explanation for it. But Richard Dreyfus in Jaws wears a Jean Jacket the whole time. And it's the only <laughs> time that I'm like, that maybe is what they were going for. I don't know. It's such a... it. The thing about Jean Jacket is it's such a different name from all the rest yeah, of them. They're like, they're like ghost, ghost or lucky. Clover. Yeah, exactly. But that one has two words. Um, Jean Jacket. So, yeah, that's the closest thing I could come up to it was that that's, that's a Jaws thing, too. But hmm. I don't know. I mean, and it's not just a jean jacket. Richard Dreyfuss is that movie covered in denim, which seems like an insane <laughs> thing to wear near the water. But yeah, right? It's, it's decisions he's made. And I guess maybe in the beginning it's supposed to trick us into thinking he is like a preppy college kid that doesn't really know his stuff. But even later in the movie, I'm like, I still don't think he should be wearing that. He's got to have better clothes. No, you've got to own some. And, and I mean, it was like, what, the 70s or the 80s. But it's still you got to own something other than denim. Mm-hmm. It's just too hot. I don't know. I mean, it was cold. It's Massachusetts, but it's the summer. Everybody's in bathing suits yeah. now. It's it's wait. He's wearing hats too. What a what a weirdo. I went to college I mean, in he Boston. Survives that I point. would not have been wearing all denim at any point during the year. <laughs> yeah, it's just it's strange. Yeah, but their plan basically is to offer uh, fresh bait, fresh horses at golden hour, and see what happens. Uh, the problem is, of course, who is going to be the one to go get the horse out of the trailer. And OJ volunteers, having some semblance of understanding of the creature. Uh, and this is where Antlers reveals his hand crank camera. And the plot begins. They kind of go through a little montage of setting up the situation, stealing things that they need from Jupiter's claim, uh, setting up all of their battery-powered things. Uh, and they have probably a day oh, or yeah, two. St- yeah. They steal all those car batteries. They steal I love all those that. car batteries. It's so like, I think that would make the conspiracy even weirder. It's like <laughs> that guy, I'm assuming that TMZ guy doesn't make it to Jupiter's legacy first, but maybe he does. And he's like, they killed all these people and stole all their car batteries, I guess, or something. Did they have really special 
car batteries? Did the batteries explode <laughs> and get everybody? Like, why connecting that would be would drive people crazy? Oh yeah, um, yeah. Um, and also, all the little tube men also just disappear. All the little in this tube town. men disappear, and then Which get strewn this, across the valley. <laughs> yes, and I so I get this. This is why. So the tube men. Yes, they set up the tube men across the valley so that they can see kind of where the thing is at any given moment, right? So they can mm-hmm. see where electricity is failing. Makes sense. Why don't you put the like colors together so you have a red zone, a blue zone, a green zone, and a yellow zone? They do the same rainbow thing where it's just like one, two, three. And I like it just seems like the weirdest decision to make to put those guys together. And it probably just looks cooler on screen, and that's the answer. But um, yeah, that part blew my mind. Yeah. Also, another Jaws thing. They use... Um, in the in Jaws before they actually have it, they keep trying to shoot it with barrels yeah. to like figure out where it is. And this is kind of the same thing where they're using some sort of like air system to mm-hmm. track the monster as it's going. Um, so check off another Jaws thing. Um, anyway, <laughs> everyone's bingo cards. They also are using Monopoly pieces to like plot themselves. So I guess in in terms of aesthetics, the plan is meant to look better than maybe work. That's true. And it's cute that they have the record for the actual, like, on the on the game board as the um, as the alien. Because it's like, oh, yeah, that's kind of what it is. It's like mm-hmm. about that size. Angel remarks uh, that what they're doing is important, asking, you know, kind of more than saying, and uh, hopes that they are saving Earth. Uh, his latent uh, alien believer tendencies kind of showing through. And Antlers then very dramatically recites some of Purple People Eater. Um, love it. Which, again, I, I love it. I cannot get a handle on this guy. <laughs> again, it's like how Quint from Jaws just sings <laughs> weird songs constantly. It's like yeah. this guy is just there to make everybody else feel uncomfortable. Um, <laughs> I do wonder, part of me wonders if Jordan Peele came up with the movie based on that song or like was like what if that was a thing because it feels so weird to put that into the movie um unless that's the reason i feel like this song made a lot more sense to me in terms of like the context of the movie probably being part Mm -hmm. of the creative process than like the quote at the beginning did yes watching i'm like i think i could have cut the quote and just had like purple people eater pop up or like play a little bit in the beginning and it would have had a very similar effect i I agree. I wonder if it would feel like how, like, um, I think it's Talladega Nights opens with, like, a fake quote from Eleanor Roosevelt, if it would seem like a parody. But mm. I do think it is, like, I, I think ha- seeding that, having that be a little bit earlier in the movie would have worked pretty well um, yeah. there. Uh, but we've hit the day of truth. They're all donning their gear, ringing the dinner bell. And so the final act, title, Jean Jacket, begins, uh, which I, I love. That was so such a, like, a little full circle moment for the movie. I'm like, yeah, mm-hmm. the la- of course the last animal in question is Jean Jacket. Um, yeah. Set up on the ridge, Angel and Antlers prep their shot, getting all their film cameras set up. M, meanwhile, is back at the house playing a record uh, to start up the music and get some attention. The wiggly arm mans all over the ranch kick on and <laughs> begin doing their wacky arm thing as Antlers begins to crank the camera and OJ takes off. M notes to Angel that they don't have a live feed of Antlers because he's rolling on film uh, and their plan continues. A man in black on a motorcycle, however, shows up at the ranch to put a wrench in things, as it were. Um, the rider 
is trying to get information about the cloud and recording M. It's a guy from TMZ uh, trying yeah. to get a story on what's going on here in the valley. Uh, she tries to shoo him away, and after she won't talk, he takes off through the valley, despite her warnings, right past OJ Unlucky towards the anti-electric field. Uh, and as soon as he hits the field, he is catapulted from his bike as it comes to a sudden stop uh, and screams his way to the ground. Yeah, yeah, that was a good like comedy moment. It was like, they're like, what are we supposed to do? And Angel's like, I mean, he's definitely dead. And then you hear that first scream of like, um, help me. I love, love him. Yeah. Do that. <laughs> um, OJ takes off towards the TMZ guy despite everyone's protests. And there is still no sign of Jean Jacket just yet. Uh, the TMZ guy only asks about his camera as OJ tries to get him to move and help him up. Meanwhile, at this point, Antlers and Angel have to reload the film. Uh, and I thought that was going to be a little bit more of a tense moment than it ended up being. They seem to be able to handle that pretty well. Yeah. They had that weird little tent thingy. Yeah. Seemed kind of cool. Yeah. The power comes back on and then is off once more through that whole process as OJ tries to help the TMZ guy, but it's to no avail. Uh, and OJ chooses to leave him and flee as Jean Jacket zoops him on right up. Uh, I like, do you remember <laughs> what he says to the guy as he's leaving? No. Oh, what did he say? I'm pretty sure he says, my bad. And I'm like, <laughs> that's probably what I would say in that situation, yeah. too. Like, sorry, <laughs> sorry. But also, it's like, it's not your fault. Yeah. The rider screams and Jean Jacket has arrived. OJ is riding away on Lucky uh, when Jean Jacket comes to be hovering above him. OJ, very specifically not making eye contact, but instead puts up his hoodie's hood, which has two reflective panels like eyes on the back, like a like a prey animal that has a weird eye pattern on it. Uh, and yeah, he is tricking, cool. it was so cool, tricking Jean Jacket into following him as he begins to do a run straight down the kind of driveway of the ranch. Jean Jacket rising into the sky as OJ pushes Lucky at speed, running through the valley and luring Jean Jacket into picture-perfect view, the power going out around him. OJ, uh, as he completes this run, deploys their string of flags that they're using as deterrent, and Jean Jacket just skirts by around him, choosing not to eat him. Angel cheers. They got the shot. Um, once again, it, and the, the way they shot this in the movie itself, uh, we see him running in the same way that the black jockey on film did in mm. the opening when they showed a little bit of that clip it's his heritage coming full circle moment it's very like end to end and this is yeah the part of the movie where like i remember um being like not just like the the uh sound editing sound mixing is cool but also the soundtrack this is where mm, you get like that yeah. wild west like thing and that's very fun yeah and just this whole sequence looks great awesome um, yeah, and it's such so a good. you know it's horror movies don't like to shoot in the daytime, but this is yeah. bright daylight and it looks great the whole time. Mm -hmm. um, and I don't think it really detracts from any of the fear that we will oh, absolutely not soon be experiencing. Because um, despite the fact that they all believe it to be over, Antlers is staring at the light, the sunlight, remarking that it's going to be magic soon the famed mm -hmm. magic hour that photographers and videographers love so much um antlers gets up to leave with his hand crank camera leaving angel behind as he heads up to the mountaintop um angel begins to record on the other film camera once more as antlers does the same from his handheld mountain location uh, attracting the attention of jean jacket as antlers records into the unknown as he is sucked up into jean jacket uh while everyone else watches and we see in the shot um the way they do part of it is we are oh, from yeah. the camera's pov with the 
you know, equip ISO information and everything in the frame until it just yeah. becomes zooped nothing. Um, which that was, was fun. And there was, and my jaw's brain was like, this guy's going to be the one that dies yeah. without a doubt. <laughs> I did not think he would go time for me to go get eaten yeah. by the monster. Uh, I thought it would be a little bit more of a mistake or something mm-hmm. like, Oh, we got to go get the film. We can't, it's too far. But yeah, this guy was just like, no, I would like to be eaten by a big yes. old monster, please. This is the and shot of a lifetime. And I guess he got yeah. it. Yeah. It's a cool shot. Yeah. Maybe not the coolest shot in the movie, <laughs> but to be fair, he wasn't producing the movie. Nope. So maybe it's pretty good. I don't know. <laughs> uh, Angel watching this gets blown back, wrapped up in a blue tarp as their whole hideout is blown away and their film camera strewn everywhere, ruining their uh, proof of jean jacket. And at this point, every individual who's still here is starting to attract the attention of jean jacket. Uh, first going to M, nearly blowing her away as Angel tries to untangle himself from the barbed wire and tarp, which was the second point where I'm like, oh, he's going to get sucked up in a jean jacket and the, the barbed wire is yep. going to do the barbed wire thing. But And that's another thing where in Jaws, Richard Dreyfus gets in the cage in the water and that's what protects him from the shark. Like it's yeah. very, that part specifically to me was like, oh, right, that's how this guy's going to survive. Mm-hmm. I do remember seeing this shot of um, Emerald getting sucked up a little bit yeah. right like we see that that was in the first trailer and i'm like you probably should show us that i was glad that she didn't die in mm-hmm. that moment um because it otherwise it would have felt kind of like cheap or like just like you spoiled something yeah that seemed pretty important no she just sort of um, gets blown back a little bit and like knocked over yeah she gets like all these guys fall from like 20 30 feet up like i'm surprised like and i mean a lot of them don't like like what's his name isn't able to walk mm-hmm. um but like these some of these falls are like really rough yeah like the black widow can survive it in a movie but like a person can't and uh (laughs) in movies i kind of get i guess i got desensitized to like fall damage Mm -hmm. as a concept m walks towards the ranch house oj telling her to get out of here on the bike as jean jacket begins to expand and become even spookier it like almost unwraps itself into being more like tentacly and almost fabric scrappy uh, as opposed Mm -hmm. to being disc shaped it kind of feels like it, like, Pokemon evolved a little bit. <laughs> a little bit, yeah. It's, it, yeah, it does, like, because there's that one good shot right at the end before mm-hmm. it dies where you see it kind of fold back into itself, into, like, the kind of ship shape yeah. from the weird, almost, like, alien fish kind of shape that it's got. Um, yeah, I mean, it's a it's a cool design. I was not expecting, like, a kind of Lovecraftian yeah thing um but it is it's it's very eldritch at the end end of the movie um yeah i think it's a neat like veneer for the kind of sci-fi aesthetic it's had so far um Mm -hmm. m gets onto the bike but because it's in the electric field it won't power on and oj on lucky begins to try and draw jean jacket's attention away from m uh looking directly at it and whistling uh m is begging her brother to leave but he uh, just does the I'm looking at you symbol at her like when they were kids and when she does it back he returns his gaze to Jean Jacket who unleashes a green mouth <laughs> yeah I don't know what that was like we see it in the it's the first shot of the movie I think right after the Gordy's home that's what the titles are on yeah um but yeah I can tell if it was a mouth or an eye mm-hmm. because it like was like flashing like it seemed like that was eye contact for it but maybe it was like an eye mouth maybe they're the same thing for these guys yeah but oj is standing down jean jacket uh 
the power coming back on around M as her brother's sacrifice allows her to power on the bike and start to flee through the field of blowing up arm, uh, wacky arm guys. Um, now, I don't know if you remember this, but earlier in the movie, they did say she was good at motorcycles. They did say she was good so, at motorcycle stunts. we may even, yeah, we, we're seeing it, you know, firsthand. Um, she seems and you know what? proficient. Good motorcycle stuff in this movie. <laughs> like, that motorcycle bit is cool. Yeah. Motorcycles that are not on the street getting in my way are pretty cool. <laughs> or making too much noise outside my apartment. Mm. I like them. Uh, being in movies, not the other version yes. of them. This motorcycle, and, pretty good. <laughs> yeah, it's cool. Obviously, this is where you get the weird Akira slide thing. Yeah. Which, like, <laughs> cool. I remember, cool. was he going to direct a an Akira movie at one point? I believe he was on the hook Possibly. to do that, like a live-action Akira. Yeah. yeah. Um, so I'm glad he got this in. Yeah, Jean Jacket's chasing her through the valley. She's flying, motoring through the Western Park, Akira bike slide, like the 2003 Ninja Turtles before them and every other animated series mm-hmm. that has ever had a reason to put someone on a motorcycle. Um I can't fault yeah. anyone for doing the Akira bike slide, but it does oh, make yeah. me Leonardo DiCaprio pointing meme every time it shows up on screen. Like, ah, mm-hmm. um, I guess there's a part of me in the, in like in universe for her was like, she'd always been practicing the Akira yeah. slide. Cause that's, if something you're that a motorcycle cool stunt a man yeah. or woman who, uh, isn't constantly practicing the Akira bike slide for the day, you inevitably need to do it. I don't, I think you're just missing out on an opportunity to perfect your craft. Absolutely. Um, and it was awesome here. I hope we don't see it in every movie with no. motorcycles forever. But I'll take one every five years, maybe. And yeah. it'll be a good surprise. It felt earned. They hadn't been doing too much, like, heavy-handed pop culture referencing. I feel like they can get away with That's the bike true. slide. Um, yeah. Unless you're counting the, you know, one-to-one <laughs> parallels to the movie Jaws. Mm-hmm. And this is the biggest one. Yes. And this was the one that I was like, okay, how do we kill Jaws? We don't shoot it. Mm-hmm. You get the air thing into it, and then you explode that. And that's what they do with this. They get a yeah. big balloon, and then it explodes inside of the thing. So that was, I think, the yeah. the most on the nose of the She thing. unties all of the uh, strands holding the big uh, inflatable Steven Gunn balloon, cowboy balloon, <laughs> yeah. so that it floats up into the sky to attract the attention of uh, Jean Jacket. Uh, and then using the coins that she finds on the ground, she preps the photo well, cranking it so that it starts to take photos and getting it just to the point so that when Jean Jacket goes to eat the balloon and flies directly overhead, she will get a photo of it for Oprah. Uh, I like there's a lot of tension in this moment that I'm not going to be able to verbally describe, but essentially she's, you know, winding it over and over again. It's taking pictures. Jean Jacket's getting closer and closer. And as Jean Jacket sucks in the balloon man, uh, boy, does it not like that as uh, it kind of explodes <laughs> Jean Jacket in the sky and she gets mm-hmm. her photo uh, at the exact perfect moment as power comes on throughout the valley. Um, the photo M got pops out of the well and begins to develop as reporters and news outlets appear at the gate of the Western theme park. Yeah. And I'm like, man, get on top of that photo. Cause they're going to take a picture of it and then it's not your photo anymore. Yeah. If you want to sell it, you got to take that, that now. and like, run, get out, get back on your motorcycle and go, go to Kinko's right now. You got to be on yeah. this. Mm-hmm. Um, M pulls herself up, uh, and through the smoke, she sees uh, OJ on Lucky appear in her vision as the photo of Jean Jacket finishes developing. Um, and I, I'm choosing to take this as more her seeing her brother in her mind because I, you know, it, it's ambiguous as to did he live? We don't actually see mm-hmm. him get eaten technically, but um, 
I think I feel like if they wanted to solidify like OJ did survive this, it would have been them reuniting properly and not just a vision in the fog. Uh, but that brings as the photo finishes developing of Jean Jacket eating his balloon, uh, we get cut to credits and so ends. Nope. Yeah. And um, yeah, it's cool. It's a good movie. <laughs> Best movie last year, probably. Um, better than Tar, if you ask me. <laughs> Definitely better than Elvis. Um, yeah, I, I would agree on the Elvis front. I haven't seen Tar yet, but... Um... It, it's good. It's not a bad movie. <laughs> but it's like, I think the thing with this movie is like, this year we nominated mm-hmm. all the fancy movies, right? Like Tar and, and Triangle Sadness, whatever. We also nominated Avatar and Top Gun. Yeah. So it's like, we weren't above nominating a crowd pleaser. And I do think those are fine. But this is right in the middle in the space where it's like a really cool, like borderline prestige, thought provoking, whatever. And at the same time, it's also a movie that I would show a person and be like, you're not going to get bored during this. Like you this doesn't feel like homework. Um, Yeah, I think a lot of people I did that with. Like I was like, listen, I know (laughs) it seems like a fancy movie that you're probably not going to like, but watch it. I think you'll dig it. And I don't know anybody that's... uh, yeah, I can't think of anybody that's been like, oh, yeah, I didn't really like it. It's generally, I think, pretty fun. Yeah, it strikes um, a nice balance between kind of like pop blockbuster filmmaking and storytelling and like actually having some thought behind it to where it's so well constructed and it's pretty clear in its theming. So you get something out of it that you might not from like, I like Top Gun Maverick fine, but I don't think it necessarily deserves the best picture nom over this movie. Um, yeah. You know, it, both of them I are mean, very technically proficient, sure, but Nope is doing more with the genre and the format than your, you know, standard blockbuster is going to. To be fair, maybe Hollywood uh, also saw this as a front to their uh, alien religion or whatever, mm. the Scientology. Maybe they were like, oh, this is, <laughs> is exactly what they tell us not to do in the Bible is give it a balloon so it explodes. So <laughs> we don't like this. Um, and no one would be more against that than a certain uh, uh, Top Gun pilot man. Yes. Um, I do think, and I, I think it gets kind of overlooked a little bit, not overlooked that much, because mm-hmm. I think people give Steven Yeun a lot of credit for being great in this movie. I think he is. I do think Daniel Kaluuya as OJ is interesting. Like, mm-hmm. he is a character, and it's a performance that's not like a prestige Oscar performance, but it feels like more... I, I wish people gave i wish like uh performances like this got more attention yeah because it's a character and like everything small kind of understated but like by the end of that movie you totally buy that Mm -hmm. this guy is a guy that trains horses i love how he clicks at his family member when when he's like come over here he still does the horse signal to them because it's just like it's just what he does and also i mean kiki palmer was very good Mm -hmm. in this i think she got more attention yeah. from it because she was just like she's a solid final girl one. you know uh, every, yeah everyone loves a horror movie final girl and she was a very fun one uh throughout the whole film you know um mm-hmm. i was surprised this movie actually had a final girl in the same way that like your screams yeah. would so <laughs> the new scream is all about the final girls but like this one in particular like mm-hmm. coming into this movie i'm like oh this seems like a situation where maybe more than one person might actually make it to the end or they're not going to fall into that kind of classic ending point but uh they did and i think it it worked uh, and she really yeah. carries it well yeah and she's like and she also like you were saying before their relationship feels like a real sibling yeah. relationship where they're like i don't want to 
do the job. Well, I do want to do the job. Mm -hmm. All right, you want to get drunk? Okay. You want to help me work? I'm not going to walk around calling you sis and bro. Yeah. But like, you know, as someone with some brothers, this is very much felt like the way that we would interact. Uh, You know, Mm -hmm. it's... It, there's love there and you care about each other but also you're gonna give them a little shit sometimes you're not just gonna go along with whatever the family mo is um yeah yeah but i guess to kind of get into final thoughts a little bit uh i would say pretty easily both of us enjoyed this movie uh is there a situation you might recommend people watch this in uh or <laughs> i mean like i no, i feel like people would i, th- I think in most situations unless you hate movies that are like kind of horror-y mm-hmm. like if you've decided if a movie has a jump scare you will not watch it then sure you're not gonna like it because it has some but i will say as someone who will 100 percent not watch a movie not like won't want watch a movie but doesn't like to seek out movies that are known for jump scares mm-hmm. i do think this is far more tolerable um and i also think just like the other thing that i don't think has really come up Although we mentioned it a few times. I do think this movie's pretty funny. Yeah. It's got, it's like Jordan Peele can't not do a little bit of humor, but it feels like there were, okay, so there were moments in Us, not to beat up on Us, but it's Mm -hmm. my least favorite of his three movies. I still think it's pretty good. But where I was like, is this a parody of a a home invasion movie or is this a home invasion movie? Like, which one are we doing here? Where like, you know, I don't know. There were, there were a couple moments like that, specifically like the Tim Heidecker stuff. Mm -hmm. Um, I think this movie hits the perfect balance of that. And at the same time, Get Out is good. It's very good. I think Get Out thematically is a lot more on the surface. Like it's, it is what it is. And it's about that thing that Mm -hmm. it's about. And it's met, it's got a lot of metaphors and stuff like that. This one I think does require, I, I just think this movie is more deep than it seems. And I appreciate that about it. Um, it's definitely my favorite of his three movies. Yeah. I wouldn't say I know people that like get out more than this. And I think that's fair. Um, but yeah, I, 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 it's, it's the best jaws we've made in a while. Probably <laughs> the best alien horror movie I could think of. We've made in a while. Um, and it's just a cool looking action movie. When you get past all the horror stuff, there's like a lot of that in the end too. Horses are cool. Motorcycles are cool. <laughs> yeah. Despite my uh, personal beef with horses, I did actually really enjoy this movie. <laughs> And one of them got eaten. One of them so, did get eaten. And a bunch were implied to have been eaten. Yeah. So it was very vindicating was for me. Good. And even the horses that didn't get eaten, I did kind of feel bad for. So it, mm-hmm. it did a good job of sympathizing. But no, I, I agree with you on that. I think this is my personal favorite of his three movies. Um, I think it's the one I'm most inclined to rewatch over and over. Yes. Uh, I think there's a Absolutely. lot of value to it because it isn't quite all surface level. You get things on subsequent rewatches, both in the sense that um, as a person who does some film criticism on the internet, sometimes you notice things you missed before and you're like, oh, wow, deeper themes. And also on a rewatch, just as like a lay person who enjoys a movie, uh, you see the setup and the payoff. And rather than yeah. ruining the impact of that moment, it gives you the... Uh, kind of Hitchcockian suspense, you know, mm. it, that dread that it it pedals in works really, really well. Um, and now on my inevitable subsequent rewatch, uh, I will be constantly thinking about watching it at the same time as Jaws yeah. because that actually sounds like a really fun way to spend a night. <laughs> I mean, it's similar enough, and it, and it has that same thing where like like you're saying like it's that Hitchcockian like simmering like somebody's gonna get eaten, who's mm-hmm. gonna get eaten? Like there's that one scene. I think it's the second Jaws kill in the movie where. 
Brody's just sitting on the beach watching everybody go in the beach. And you're like, oh, there's a, there's a lady. Oh, there's a dog. Oh, there's a bunch of kids. Which one of them's going to be the one that gets eaten by the shark? Like mm-hmm. that, that dread and, and all of that um, is uh, just like, I don't know. It is fun watching it a second time knowing it's coming. But also, yeah, it's it's very, there's so many little pieces throughout it mm-hmm. that, um, yeah, I think you can watch this and go like, let's watch this just to see the parts where it's like cinema is a monster that kills everybody yeah. like and watch it for that context um or let's just watch it for the sound design uh there's yeah there's just mm-hmm. a lot of fun stuff yeah. in this movie it's just a good movie you know? yeah <laughs> sometimes a movie a is also movie. just entertaining and good and that is a perfectly valid reason to watch it uh this is entertaining good and has that nice deeper layer that really scratches that itch um yeah i'm wondering where i because i want to check i'll check this now where it landed in the box office of last mm. year because like it is so wow okay um so in 2022 this can't be right uh no i guess this is right it made 171 million worldwide and 123 million domestic which makes sense um that puts it right above morbius and right under the lost city dc league of super pets and lightyear so like Huh. I think this should be more than that. Although yeah. I wonder in 20, was it 2018 when um, Get Out came out, like, that was land? that a box office success at the same it's level true. or was it? 2022 like, was I, a I, weird year for the box office, too, because we're kind yeah. of coming out of the lockdown. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, yeah. I didn't see yeah. this movie in theaters either. I would have loved to. And I'm <laughs> sure if it comes back, I'll give it a look. But um, But yeah, this is like, I don't know. When did Get Out come out? 2017. Oh, okay. Uh, so, yeah, let's see. I'm going to just put the box office mojo. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a bad website now because they ruined it, but I can still find information. <laughs> yeah, Get Out, 37th of its year, uh, right above Alien Covenant and Paddington 2, a good movie, and right under Split and Ferdinand, that movie where John huh. Cena is a bull, I think. So, like... <laughs> Even the best one that everyone loves didn't make that much money mm. either, um, which is just interesting. Yeah. Um, yeah. Damn. Yeah, right? <laughs> like, yeah. I mean, I yeah. And I think out of all three of them, this is the one that will age the best mm-hmm. in terms of just like being one that you didn't see and then you see it on TV and you're like, oh, watch that. And you're like, oh, this is cool. Yeah. I think this one has some of the broadest audience appeal just kind of in general. Like I could mm-hmm. see anyone just like scrolling be like oh okay neat kind of alien horror movie and then sticking around for it um because on some levels it's doing kind of the simplest style of horror compared to some of his compared to like uh get out and us but uh that's not to say that those movies aren't very successful in the styles of horror that they're executing but there's a lot more like layers to unpack uh for the like just genre that it's in whereas in this one i feel like i kind of understood where the scare was coming from as soon as they were like there's a something out there <laughs> yeah i think you could miss the first 30 minutes of this movie and still kind of get it yeah. whereas like with us and maybe not get out as much but definitely us you'd be like who are these people like mm-hmm. like there's there's just so much information in that movie and so much plot uh especially at the end that um yeah i do think it's it gets very complicated whereas this is pretty simple um, yeah there's a lot to latch on to yeah but further in Really, really cool movie. I love getting more horror on the podcast. I love getting more good horror on the podcast. Uh, yeah. Matt, thank you so much for j- joining us again. This was a blast. Of course. This is fun. Yeah. 
Thank you for having me. Yeah, if Um, people want to hear more from you, uh, where can they find you? So the main places are my YouTube channel, Nandovi Movies, where I make, you know, uh, movies. They come out maybe twice a month. Uh, And then I have a second channel that's called The Nando Cut, and that's just kind of thoughts. Some of those are short, some of them are long. Sometimes if there's like a movie I just saw that I want to review and I want to talk about, I'll put it there. Um, And sometimes it'll be me complaining about something that we're all talking about on Twitter that day. So those come kind of whenever. Um, Beyond that, I have a uh, podcast called Mostly Nitpicking, where every week we talk about some movie. So, like, either it's the movie of the week, and we just kind of usually zero in on, like, specific things that are weird about it. So we didn't, like, this last week we did the Super Mario Brothers movie. The week before we did the um, Dungeons & Dragons movie and, like, just talked about that scene in the maze where it's like, what even is this? (laughs) Why Do do they own the maze or not? Did they build the place around it? You know, why is everybody treating it like it's something no one has done and yet there is a ceiling they could easily just jump down through i don't know but like stuff like that um and that is called mostly nitpicking and um and yeah my videos are also on uh, nebula the creator owned streaming platform they go up there early so that's a good place to watch them but yeah and my videos tend to be about like movies uh casting pitches for future movies uh things like you know the third deadpool movie i just did one of those or like casting the new superman stuff like that so it's uh, it's pretty fun, and um, yeah, I didn't do a movie about Nope, and we didn't do a podcast about Nope because I don't, I don't think we did, um, but probably because it's good, and usually it's more fun to do bad ones. Um, <laughs> like next week we're doing, and I cannot wait. Maybe my most anticipated podcast of the year, which is only because I didn't know it existed earlier. They made a sequel to the Quibi most dangerous game oh movie God. that we did a podcast about forever ago <laughs> it's one of the worst movies like not uh, not worse dumbest movies i've ever seen and i'm so Oof. thrilled it's going to be on roku and it comes out today so like that's something i'm looking forward to those are the ones that tend to be the most fun cats like stuff very like that, good you know? yeah as yeah. much you know i for the patron drive about a year ago had to do morbius as an episode and as much yeah. as it was a pain to watch it is a, it was a fun episode to record so definitely uh all of the Nanovi movies content is super, super great. I highly recommend you guys checking it out. It'll all be linked in the show notes below. And I'm sure there will be plenty of bad and good movies to come uh, <laughs> on both of our yeah. ends. Yeah. But um, yeah, thank you again for joining us. Uh, I am off to investigate uh, some mysterious whooshing and popping sounds that have been occurring outside my apartment. Uh, I hope. Oh, I'm going to a show later on oh, yeah? um, where we're going to watch something. We don't know what it is. They Ooh. just keep using the word spectacle rapid fire 50 times. So hmm. it might be. A big uh, monster man. I don't know. It's probably well, going to get eaten. Hopefully yeah. both of us will be back on our subsequent and respective uh, programs next week. But until then, thank you guys for listening and we'll catch you on the next episode. Bye. Thanks so much for listening to this week's episode of Movie Struck. We'll be back on March 27th with another thrilling installment. But if you've got any questions, comments, or concerns for the podcast before then, feel free to email us at moviestruckpod at gmail.com. If you enjoyed the show, please rate us and leave a review on your preferred podcast platform. And if you really enjoyed the show, consider becoming a patron. Links to all that and the exclusive Moviestruck Discord server where you can chat with other fans about all things movies and otherwise can be found in the show notes below. I want to give a special shout out to the patron who joined us in February. Thank you to Stephen Justice for supporting the podcast and to everyone over on Patreon who is helping to keep this show and the cat who currently is clawing at my microphone well fed. Thanks, guys.